Hello there, you. Welcome to Riot Act, the alternative music podcast. This is episode 70, the big 7-0. At last. Um, we're as old as, as David Bowie got. Oh, what a sad note to start things it on. sad, though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we're recording this, Clive James has just died as well. I know, I got this um, on... Eight uh, years old, he was great, Clive James. Yeah, me BBC app, other apps are available. Uh, news apps, that is. Mm. Um, yeah, it Sky came Fox. through... Skyfox. I'm Renfrey Debbin, by the way, you're yeah. Stephen Hill. Oh yes, hello. Um, uh, yeah, that's us. Welcome to Riot Act. Uh, on this week's show, we're going to be talking about new music. It's kind of a fairly good way to start it because we're talking to some, some miserable records out this week quite bleak <laughs> yeah. sounding records out this week we're going to be reviewing the new records from beck from lindemann from cow decapitation and from misery loves company plus trade-off is back again it's got its triumphant return last week uh and uh, a bunch of absolute pissy little fuck face facing off against each other <laughs> like watching two asthmatic moths try and battle their way out of a wet paper bag Catch and Fallout Boy, we'll I be talking about later. Do think what you have brought in is worse than what I have brought in? I'm going to say that right now. Uh, but, well, we'll find out. We'll find out. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, we want to give a shout out to our friends at Musicism, Musicism.net, of course, every week. 70 shout outs they've had now from me. And what do I get? <sighs> what do no, we get? Nothing. Well, we've got, like, got all this equipment. Apart from that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just want respect, really. Uh, it's the one thing. I'll, oh, I'll they've definitely not given no, you respect. Uh, but no. they do give you great tutorials, online tutorials for anyone who wishes to be a singer, guitarist or a producer, wants to be in the music industry and live their best life. That's what the kids are saying, isn't it? Apparently. Yeah. Um, do you think we're living our best life by being in the music industry? Because I'm beginning to wonder that sometimes. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, I don't really think I am part of it anyway. So, you know. I'd like to live my best life being in uh, somewhere hot, fed mm. up with the cold already, fed oh, up of it getting dark so early. It gets dark at the moment in the UK at half past four. Quite like this time of year. Do you? Yeah, I like Christmas, yeah. Yeah. I like Christmas. Got no beef with it. Cool. I'm a Grinch. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, 70% off. <laughs> 70 <laughs> percent off. oh i really mean? need to cheer up 25 yeah, percent off all courses when you put the code riot into the checkout uh it's usually 9.99 to sign up for their monthly courses at musicism.net we'll give you 25 percent off there you go that should put up for your old um your dark your dark early nights it's made me that. happier yeah i'm suddenly i've brightened up and i'm super happy wow i can get 25 percent off can. that's yeah. two pound 50 or two pound 49 we still haven't figured out yeah um, we also want to say you should come along. It's only 12 days as we record. I mean, it's less than that when this podcast goes It's out. 10 days. 10 days until we do the Riot Act Big Fat Alternative Quiz of the Year Two. at Oxford House in Bethnal Green. Now, tickets have been going. Um, <laughs> they haven't. They? They've been going. People tickets have, have been going. People have been purchasing <laughs> tickets, but there are still tickets available. Um, it's uh, it's on our Facebook page. Is it, you can find it on our Facebook page the, and, on Twitter, well. and on our Twitter and the um, the actual tickets you can get from eventbrite.com, but the link is on our Twitter and on our Facebook and all that sort of shit. So um, we're going to have guests. We're going to have a quiz. If you listen to the quiz when we did it last year, uh, it's one of the funniest things we've probably probably the funniest thing we've done. It's certainly like in terms of um, the feedback that we've had, it is by far the like the nicest things that people have ever said yeah. to us about this show is due to the quiz last year. Yeah, so. and we're sorry it's in London. This particular show, unfortunately, most people in bands uh, they all travel down to do press and stuff in London. Exactly. So unfortunately, that's why I have to do it. But if it was just me and Renfrey doing the show. 
We yeah. could do that. We could do that anywhere, and that's probably what we'll do next. We have we have discussed that briefly, haven't we? Mm-hmm. And it's some definitely something that we want to do at some point in the future. So don't worry if you live around the country, and if you live in Australia, you live around the country. You live around the country. <laughs> you live outside London. Don't worry, we will get to you eventually. Uh, but yeah, big fat quiz of the year. As I said, 9th of December. Come on down. It'll be a. Bl- it will be a bloody laugh. Get some mince pies in. We will. Wine. Yeah, we'll get make some it, mince pies. Make it Christmassy. I think it'll be excellent. Mm-hmm. Um. Renfrey, speaking Hello. of the good news, so you wanted cheering up, and I can definitely cheer you up. Okay. Um, because Faith No More, out of nowhere, are back. From out of nowhere. From out of nowhere, oh, are back. God, this is epic. <laughs> Fool for a lifetime, you are. <laughs> uh, for doing that joke. I've never been a king for a day either. Um, and um, they're doing three they're, three dates have been announced so far. Hellfest. Have you seen the Hellfest lineup? Oh my Shut God! Up. Please, can we go to Hellfest? Does any if anyone does anyone anything for Hellfest? Please, can we go? Um, yeah, let's. Right, go I out. love the lineup, but I don't want to go <laughs> because too many clashes. I don't. Well, there's too many clashes, and I just don't want to go to any festivals next year. So oh yeah, I can't yeah, be, I but I'm not traveling all the way down to. I don't care. I want to um, go. You've you been, go. You've you been go. before. Yeah, go. Well, I've, I've been I've three times been. and it's fucking amazing, but it's still not enough to make me um, end my festival embargo. No, it's not. It's um, uh, it's uh, Faith No More, System of a Down and Death Tones. Uh, oh, fuck me. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah I love so it. It'd be really, really good. And that's mm. just scratching the surface. Oh, of, very much of that so. Festival. It's, mm. it's absolutely amazing. But they're doing Hellfest. They're doing Sunstroke Festival in Ireland and Norway's Tons of Rock Festival. That I mean, genuinely, without... Wanting to do the joke again. That did kind of come from completely of nowhere. You could do the joke again. Well, I think I've kind of skirted so hard <laughs> around not doing it. There's not only one way to say it came from out of nowhere. And I tried really hard to go. It came from a place that could have been some was the opposite to somewhere, didn't it? <laughs> but yeah, uh, it, yeah. Um, it's, I'm, I'm quite shocked. I'm yeah, I'm quite shocked because... I'm delighted. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy about it. I mean, I... I um, you know, I don't think it would have been wrong to... Well, obviously, it would have been wrong to assume that Soul Invictus was the only album they were going to do. Well, actually, we don't know that, do we? What am I saying? My mind's all over the place. What are you talking about? I don't even, I don't even know what you're talking about. I was just wondering if they would, if this means they'd be doing another record or well, not. I wouldn't be surprised. They, they, they don't strike me as the sort of band... I mean, you know, it took a few years to get Soul Invictus after they got back together. That's true. But they were never really a fully... You know, they kind of did a tour and then they went, that's it. And then they went, wow, we do. And the tour lasted a while. And then when they came back straight away, when they did a sort of second run round on the, you know, the sort of the nostalgia circuit, they very quickly went, we can't do this. We have to have an album, which is why I trust them to come back, which is why I'm much more excited for them coming back than I would be System of a Down or Rage, who are other bands, sort of comparable bands who have sort of come back and then not really done anything, not really left, not really completely gone away when we split up and then they're back together. And it's hard to think of Rage and System of a Down splitting up after they've just sort of come back and done a couple of tours and, and not done anything. Do you know what I mean? Like Faith No More, it felt like they came back, released this great album and then they were done. And I was like, what a cool way to to do a, you know, like they genuinely were done. And now it's like, oh, they're genuinely back doing it again. And, and, and I yeah. think they're the sort of people and the sort of collective that can treat Faith No More, even though there's this huge, huge band, they can treat it in the same way as Mike Patton treats Phantomers or Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Or, do you know what I mean? Like you'll suddenly one day you'll you'll see oh, Mike Patton's working on a new Peeping Tom album and it's not like they've got back together, but it's just, you know, he has these different concerns and they're all happy to go off and do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. You know, like Bill Gold and um, 
uh, Mike Borden obviously have all kinds of other stuff that they work on as well. Yeah. yeah. And um, Patton's clearly the most busy one of the five of it's them. ridiculous i mean we we did that um album we did with uh jean-claude vanier yeah like uh the corpse flower mm-hmm. record and then um oh there's isn't one of his other projects back as well mr bungle of course <laughs> fucking hell how did i forget that mr yeah of course there's mr bungle mm-hmm. although i think that will be they've quite defiantly said that it's only going to be those dates in uh yeah but America. you know they're treating it as they're treating it as whatever they're treating it i guess mm-hmm. you know that's how i think patton's got a really cool way of doing it it's not you know nothing no book ever feels i mean he did close the book on faith and more for a long time but nothing he does ever feels like it's completely closed off whereas you know or, or is done for anything other than for his love of doing it do you know what i mean like i look at system of a down and i'm like you just want the money don't you you know that mm. is the sole reason that you are a band you don't want to make an album but you know you can carry on just kind of doing a lap of the globe every other year and sort of topping up your bank balance and then you can go do whatever they do i don't even know what any of them do now really uh which pattern project would you most like to come back i miss I, i've never seen mr bungle so mr bungle Mm. Mr. Bungle playing California in full would be amazing. Mm. Mm. What about mm. you? I want Peeping Tom. I'd like. I would like that. Yeah. I think that Peeping Tom record is so good. Mm. I think it's so underrated. Uh, is it underrated? Yeah. Fuck yeah, it. I think yeah. Fuck it. it. It's, it's underrated. Like it's a really really good album. And um, I just thought it was a real like when I it's one of those records that like when it was talked about on paper because he was working with like a few like hip hop artists and, yeah yeah it, it, yeah it was like I, I'm not really sure I'm gonna be cool into this yeah right. yeah and then and then I, I love the entire record I think it's fantastic mm. so um yeah I'd love to see something with Peeping Tom have you heard Lovage Lovage it's Mike Patton and um ah shit i've forgotten the name beth something from uh, i can't remember anyway and and i think it's danny automator as well and that's where they sort of met and it's basically this kind of like real sort of lounge like kind of lounge sexy lounge music you like it oh it's wicked mike, it's mike Patton and the girl i feel really bad because i can't gibbons? remember the girl's name it's not beth gibbons no um i thought it was for a long time but it's not okay. um but it's yeah it, that's really good as well okay cool quite rare lovage i should check that out. bonjour's here and now she's gone again there's someone on our youtube channel who if you want bonjour watch somebody is very kindly putting so if you're just watching us on youtube because for bonjour which i can understand then somebody gives you the time you don't even have to watch us. you're kidding someone just puts like bonjour arrives at this point <laughs> Oh my so god. So you can skip all this shit. She's gone again now. They've gone. Good. Yeah, um tough. so Pete Townsend from The Who has been having a pop at some dead people who you used to be friends with. Uh so uh, but was... who I personally used to be. Or no, he, no, he, he, used he used to be friends. Be friends. Oh sorry. So okay. speaking to Rolling Stone about the Who's upcoming self-titled album, he was asked if he ever gets nostalgic for playing with former members of the band. And he said this it's not gonna make Who fans very happy, but thank God they're gone. That's what he said about Keith Moon and John Entwistle. He said, because they were fucking difficult to play with. They never, ever managed to create bands themselves. I think my musical discipline, my musical efficiency as a rhythm player, player held the band together. He went on to criticise um, their abilities. He said, John's bass sound was like a messian, a, a messian organ. Every note, every harmonic was in the sky. When he passed away and I did the first few shows without him... Um, he was playing uh, with Pino Padalino, who's playing bass for Who now. He was playing with all that, without all that stuff. 
that stuff obviously being the kind of the effects that John Entwistle used to have on his bass. And he said, wow, I have a job. Kind of assume, like, I guess to sort of say, you know, I used to get drowned out by John Entwistle while we were playing. Mm. Um, with Keith, my job was keeping time because he didn't do that. So when he passed away, it was like, oh, I don't have to keep time anymore. Um, the Who, Roger Dolce and Pete Townsend have over the last few years become quite sort of grumpy sounding embittered old men yeah um it's so not far thing. away from their sort of punk roots and like so far away from what you would i mean i think you would kind of look at the who and assume there's a liberal element to them my generation and all that kind of thing maybe and, and it seems mm. like that is probably an incorrect assumption if that were the assumption. the assumption yeah, yeah. exactly um go on but i, I mean that's fine i mean i think you know well that's allowed yeah totally it's, yeah it's allowed um but this is the first time where i've seen something where i've like that just feels really kind of mean-spirited and distasteful and kind of a shitty yeah. shitty thing to say was this about... a written transcript or was it a video well, or uh, yeah it was it was in rolling stone right mm. written transcript. okay so you know because um, when you first started quoting from it i thought it could have been said in quite a jovial, like, oh, those bozos. Yeah, kind of I thing. thought that. And then as it goes on, it's like, oh, no, you're actually getting quite personal and <laughs> quite, mm. you know. And you're talking about one of the greatest well, rhythm sections in the history of popular music. Yeah, I mean, Keith Moon. Keith <sighs> Moon is not a, Keith Moon is not a, you know, quote unquote, good drummer. He's not got a style which is technically great do you know what i mean like i don't think he ever would have made a session musician for like a pop star or something you know you have to be like right sure. in your pocket on yep. your button have a very kind of you you can see why someone would go oh my god keith moon he's very difficult to to keep up with but that kind of manic i mean you're in the you can't take your eyes off him though yeah and there's a lot of session musicians i mean you know this is nothing against session musicians at all um but you know, a lot of session musicians purposefully, you, you're meant to keep your eyes off them because, you know, you're meant to be focusing on whoever they're playing with, you know. Uh, and that he had that, oh, I don't want to call it an X factor. Well, he had, he had that aura about him. That, and he, he also had, I mean, even just listening to the records. Yeah. I think you can tell that that's Keith Moon drumming. Apps. Uh, yes, I totally agree. And yeah. uh, I think kind of to, to downplay, such a unique style which which you know like the who are a fucking what you know were a, a raucous rock band yes like let's not sort of downplay what you were you know what i mean like keith moon was not just had his own style it was a style that was perfectly suited to the music that the who were making for you know i would say the first two thirds of their career mm -hmm. maybe first half of their career at least the first half of their career yeah keith moon was perfectly suited to it when you get into some of the more um you know kind of uh artsy stuff then yes you could probably are you you there is a, you could have the at least have the discussion that maybe keith moon wasn't ideally suited to that stuff but to downplay keith moon's sort of role in the who uh i think feels really mean-spirited I cannot understand what his problem with John Entwistle is. I mean, like I say, I think the Who's rhythm section is such a fucking great rhythm section. I would argue it's... Uh, so this might come as a surprise. I don't really know. Um, 
The Who, I, I've never really got on with The Who. I've always wanted to. Mm. Primarily, I've wanted to get on with them. This is so fucking sad. Primarily, I've wanted to get on with them because they're Eddie Vedder's favourite band. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is ridiculously sad. But I, I, yeah, I've never really got on with them. But if you so were... they're my dad's favourite band. So ah. I, I love so like the, yeah. the Jam and The Who. I have a kind of... You grew up a with connection them, with yeah, yeah, just yeah. with my dad. No, they're fair his two, They're his two favorite bands. So yeah, I fair. Fucking love the Who. Um, but if someone were to ask me what's your favorite thing about the Who, I would have said the rhythm section. Yeah, I think I would as well. So yeah, you know, I mean, I think John Entwistle is so just spectacularly underrated. I think if you were to take away, possibly if you were to take away the rhythm section in Jimi Hendrix experience which i think is one of the most if not the most underrated rhythm section in the history of me and particularly going back to that kind of early rock era um because i think people are finally waking up. i would i would have added black sabbath in there i think people are finally kind of waking up to how great bill ward is because they used to be like look at geezer baker uh, geezer baker uh, look at geezer butler <laughs> geezer baker geezer baker look at geezer right. butler look all right at, you want some hot cross buns uh, look there at geezer is. butler look how he writes all the lyrics and isn't he great and like yeah obviously he is but people were always a bit like i felt people have kind of ho-hum about um about bill ward but they're not anymore not so these days i think that the who's rhythm section is like massively underrated were you uh, i don't want to go off topic too much were you just insinuating that the uh, Jimi hendrix experience uh, rhythm section was underrated as well yes because people just talk about Jimi hendrix mm. they do though don't they mm. they do mm. and the Jimi hendrix experience rhythm section is a fucking phenomenon we should do something about correcting that one day we should hmm Anyway, mm-hmm. Pete Townsend, uh, just write get write your book, mate. Get your book out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Is he promoting anything at the moment? Uh, they've got a new album coming out. There you the go. Who. Yeah. The Who have a new album coming out? Yeah. Ugh, do you I think know. we'll cover that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. I mean, it won't be much fun for anyone. No. <laughs> Sorry, but we probably we, we probably will have to. Um, we've I've seen quite a lot of gigs this week, Renfrey, and so have you. Yeah. That's one of the many things we have in common. Pup. Yes. Um, old Reliable Pup. Well, not old at all. Are there only three albums in? Young Reliable Pup. Mm. Mm, there we go. Um, Pup's Ascendance. Bonjour. Carry on, Renfrew. <laughs> uh, Bonjour's just been mucking about with our camera for the old YouTube. Um, Pup's Ascendancy recently um, in, well, I suppose I can only speak in the UK, really. Last time I saw Pup, they played the Dome, I believe. Same night as FT9, right? That's right. I, <laughs> yeah. I saw both. Yeah, I saw, I saw both. you and you're like, we're going to Pup after this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to do that, but I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah, we ran off to Pup. Um, and oh, the dome is maybe 600 cap, um, I, I guess. And they play two nights at the electric ballroom, which is double the capacity, I'm sure. At least they've actually got a new balcony in there now, so it might be even bigger. And I believe what, both the dome, yeah, I think it's 1200 now, at least. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And there is a new balcony, which I think will probably make it more like 1400. But uh, lovely balcony. They don't let people on it, though. It's very weird. I don't know what's going on with that. Anyway, that's not very exciting. Um, and they sold out two <laughs> They sold out two nights at the Electric Ballroom. So they have basically quadrupled the amount of people going to see them in London. Yeah, that's great. Um, over, I don't know, <clears throat> the last year and a half or however long it's been. 
And, you know, we talked about morbid stuff earlier this year. Um, absolutely brilliant record. I have to say, um, they played a lot of stuff from morbid stuff. They opened with uh, the title track and went straight into kids and did stuff like See You at Your Funeral and Scorpion Hill and like... <laughs> All of the morbid uh, stuff material sounded like it it, it. it sounded like songs they've been playing for years and years and years and years. Like it it it. I mean, I, I I'm I'm starting to think. I think morbid stuff overall might be my favorite pop record. I think it's mine. Yeah, we'll see how. Because the last one uh, made my top twenty albums of the year. Yes. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, but um, I thought the the new stuff um, slotted in with the old stuff absolutely perfectly, and it was as exciting, if not more exciting, to hear the new stuff than it was the old stuff. Personally, for my money, um, obviously, you know, doing a song like "If This Tour Doesn't Kill Me," then I will kind of thing towards the end. Absolute, like the whole place went off, and it just felt like everyone was singing every single line back. Mm. Um, and it's just so nice and so encouraging when you see a band, you know, definitely a band playing live. Um, I mean, actually, if I'm totally honest, um, they were there were bits where they were quite sloppy, um, but in a, in a fun way. It wasn't like, oh, this is sloppy. And as a result, it's shit. It was just it was so sort of anarchic mm. that it kind of made it better in a way because it's like, oh, yeah this is live. This is actually happening in front of me. And there's no, you know, fucking backing track or anything like that. Yeah. You wouldn't expect that with a band like Pup anyway. <clears throat> no. But, um, it was, it's just so nice to see that after I feel like I'm seeing band after band after band using backing track all the time, you know, um, I'm starting to think they're a bit like a band. Um, well, you're about to talk about cancer bats in a minute. We usually say cancer bats don't play bad shows. Mm. I think we need to start saying that about pup. Don't we? They don't <coughs> play bad shows. They're on the road all the time. They've been on the road for nine months, supposedly. Uh, at the moment and if you're on the road for that long you're not going to be playing bad shows at the end of the day um they also said that they were recording them so hopefully they will be released in some format uh later i don't know sometime next year or something like that whether it's um filmed or um audio i don't know but i would love to hear that it's exciting good um yeah i did go and see cancer bats and a load of other people as well yeah. i saw um a bill which i would have to say I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a bill of kind of hardcore bands as good as this. Might be, might never have happened before. Because it was that good. Ooh. Well, I know Poison the World was supported by the Dillinger Escape Plan mm. like back in the day, but mm. I didn't see that. Wasn't that Poison the World coalesce and Dillinger? Might have been, yeah. I think Converge might have been on it as well. No. No. I've gone too far now. <laughs> Big black flag were on it. And the who. <laughs> yeah. Um, sick of it all, Comeback Kid, Cancer Bats, Grove Street Families. That's the bill. Although actually, Comeback Kid, I think in Europe, Comeback Kid's been sick of it all, Comeback Kid. But in the UK, it's been sick of it all, Cancer Bats, Comeback Kid. So Grove Street Families went on first. For those of you not familiar with Grove Street Families, they are a very... They're Grand Theft Auto, the band. Yeah, yeah, they are, aren't they? Do you not like them? Nope. Do you not? Nope. Okay, fair enough. I like them. I think they're silly. Uh, you know they're they're a hardcore band. They're a yep. they're a they're a hate breedy style mosh fucking loving that hardcore life. Yeah. Um. They were fairly enjoyable, like openers. I thought pretty cool. Um. 
got a lot of energy, which I think is what you need when you're faced with a very empty, big room, especially like a hardcore show with a big room with about... Was it Brixton 30. Academy? No, 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 no. It was at the Electric in Brixton. Ah. Yes. And the balcony was shut as well, um, which is a shame because you can... Fuck, that's one, got the, one of the best balconies in any venue I've been to. Yeah, it's lovely. I remember seeing the Melvins there and getting a really good spot on a balcony just like... Good. I saw Pixies at Electric Brixton. Did you? Mm, Fucking yeah, hell. Yeah. That was Yeah. That used to be the closest venue to where I lived. You've been yes, to my old Yes, yeah, yeah, it was. Um yeah. so this doesn't I don't know if this is interesting to people. Probably not interesting <laughs> at all, but I was saying it to you really. I'll carry on with the review, shall I? So Grove Street families were fine. Comeback kids, um I thought yeah, quite quite a good by the end they had a bit of a crowd and it looked like they were getting people's attention. It was just, you know, limbering up for what was to come i think was for the vibe for grocery families comeback kid i've never been a massive 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 fan of comeback kid no, but, neither have i but i think they're very very good live right i would be lying if i said you know they stole the show or uh were even really much of a <laughs> you know i did i i personally sort of watched them and was like yeah man that was cool like they were really good but i know what's about to happen so i didn't think they're ever they, they never hit the heights of the two other bands who are two of the most consistently brilliant live bands ever um but they were very very good and luke holler was on the side of the stage um singing along to pretty much every word which is wicked cool and um they seem to get the biggest reaction as well oh yeah which is pretty funny i thought it was pretty odd cancer bats were great but they were quite different to how they usually are and that's for one reason and one reason alone. Yeah. Wade McNeil playing ah. guitar. Ah. So Scott has had a baby. Scott from Cancer Bats, the guitarist, has had a Scott's, baby. Scott's uh, girlfriend or wife, I'm assuming, has had a baby. Yes, well, he's... Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, you don't have to correct literally every single fucking thing I ever say, Rem. You do know that, don't Sorry. you? Yeah, it's like... <laughs> like the most pedantic <laughs> English teacher ever um that didn't feel necessary <laughs> not at all not even vaguely necessary i think people were going like oh my god a man had a child a man gave birth to a child nobody thought that um anyway well uh, it happened in that documentary junior did you yeah. ever see that i have sensitive nipples ah, i want my larry <laughs> good um so that's that's done um but cancer bats had um a stand-in Wade McNeil playing guitar for them. Awesome. Yeah. And it was a pretty typical Cancer Bat show from, you know, in terms of set list, in terms of the way they behaved, and yeah. all that stuff. They were fucking brilliant. They're always fucking brilliant. Those songs are brilliant. You know, uh, the material from The Spark that... Is it called The Spark That Fades? The Spark That Moves. Moves. The Spark That Moves, I <laughs> see. The Spark That Moves, you know, stuff like, you know, Gatekeeper is just slotted instantly into that band's um back catalogs fucking great such an underrated record yeah it's a great record i listened to it like on the way there actually and i was like mm. this is really great i hadn't listened to it for a little while i think it's, I would, it's, it's had a, a massive old cancer bats binge like on the days leading up to it like, yeah occasionally do do this a, 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 a sad one that suffered from the um uh surprise release thing i think mm. but anyway yeah that's another thing. but um they were great and you know they did all the, everything right but wade mcneil the thing I use with, with Cancer Bats is Scott's guitar. Uh, it's got that kind of thin Lizzy played, like their guitar riffs are like rubble, like falling rubble. Do you know what I mean? Everything just kind of like, just is loud and bleeds out and is like really kind of 
I don't want to use the word sloppy because I don't mean sloppy, but like, like lax. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, I do. do you know, got... I don't mean that in a kind of like he can't play or he's too lazy no. to play. But I just mean his style is even though they're big riffs. Yes. Even though they're proper like metally hardcore riffs. You know, they're big like hulking, almost kind of stoner punk riffs. Yes. But they're really kind of. Um, there's a looseness to it. Yeah. Without it being uh, uh, sloppy. Yeah. Yeah. Wade McNeil turned those riffs into like choppy tight Metallica riffs. Oh, like it was really cool to see. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Yeah, because it yeah. was you know, but it was just very very noticeable that Wade brought like a proper like sort of um, like da 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 like really like cut stuff off like in, in rap. Rats. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, like properly cut it off, and he was playing a flying V, and he was going like full Hetfield, and I was like. Yeah, this sounds great. Like Cancer Bat's kind of tauter and tighter and sort of thrashier. Actually sounds really awesome. So cool. um Cancer Bats, as we as you said just before we started this review, don't do bad shows. Nope. And you could pretty much put uh, you know, that was a nine, that was a nine, that was a ten, that was a ten, that was a ten, that was a nine, that was a ten, that was a nine, that was a nine. Do you know what I mean? That's the sort of if you go through every Cancer Bat show you've ever seen. You sort of go, they're kind of all the same. They're all just great. This one had that, which mm, made it a bit different. That's cool. Mm. I, that kind of makes me uh, annoyed that I didn't get to see it anyway. Mm, but yeah. It's great. But nobody was going to be better than Sick of It All, who were fucking absolutely fucking great. Uh, I couldn't help myself but actually go. When I started playing Step Down, I did actually go into the middle of the floor and get in a mosh pit and a circle pit and start like fucking wheeling my hands around and my legs are so t- my calves are so tight i'm so old and i should not be doing this i'm so fucking old and pathetic that i just should not be doing that because it's taken me even what was it, it was on sunday and we're recording on a wednesday and my legs still feel so tight my back's been killing me never I, do it again i heard something about uh spin kicks is this true <laughs> yeah but i couldn't do a spin kick for shit Ah, uh, that's a shame was yeah. it little uh little joe, joe Nan of yeah. nuclear blast he's Records, 12 years old uh said if you do a spin kick i'll buy you a beer and i managed to do one of them sort of like kicks but not a proper spin kick can you audio that maybe no, no, <laughs> I can't. he did a pathetic kick it's like basically. a scissor kick Right. rather yeah. than a spin yeah. kick yeah. i managed to do that and then um yeah like sick of it all like it's it's insane how they like i said how they never age it is insane i mean i must have i don't even know how to review sick of it all live because i just like lose my mind they're just so brilliant and um the new material sounds pretty good i mean there is a there is a period like i think the end of the yours truly cycle is when there suddenly became a few albums where there's a couple of good songs in it, but they're not great albums all the way through. I don't think they've ever really released like Death to Tyrants is good. That is good actually. That's a good album. We but, reviewed Year of the Dragon, didn't we? Yeah, I think Year of the Dragon is. I thought it was quite good. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. It's pretty good, but they've got you know, they've got like four or five just absolute fucking insanely amazing records. They are the they are the best hardcore band. Straight up hardcore band. New York hardcore. They're the best hardcore band ever. I'd like you to give me one of their uh, classics on Trade Off One Day. I bet you would. (laughs) (laughs) Got a bit carry on, didn't it? Mm. Um, Um, But yeah, amazing. Always, always amazing. Sick of it all. Lovely stuff. Do you want me to talk about a band who are exactly the same as Sick of All? Uh, Ghost at Wembley (laughs) Arena. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought about going to this and then I just didn't. 
it's a, not a great story, but pick it up from there. <laughs> well, we all missed you. Um, uh, we actually had a minute silence uh, in your absence. Like, Where's Stephen Hill? <laughs> <laughs> um so um first things that i mean you know i think it seemed like a pretty big jump um the last london show ghosted not including uh, supporting metallica at twickenham stadium was uh royal albert hall uh which is half the size of wembley arena and um, this is also this was a big mammoth uk tour in lots of arenas around the country so it wasn't going to be unlike the royal albert hall show it wasn't going to be loads of people coming from all over the country it was going to be you know just more london centric people in the main uh coming and i think considering i think they did a pretty good job in terms of selling it out it was about two-thirds full um so i would guesstimate they sold around about eight thousand tickets um, but you know, I, I, I was really curious. I was like, are they going to curtain it off? Which I have seen them do quite a lot at Wembley arena. Uh, are they not bloody blah, blah. And, the, and you know, they didn't, it wasn't curtained off, but the back was completely empty. And, um, the, the, they have like side of stage seating as well, which was just totally empty as well. But you know, fair play. They did a pretty good job. I think that's incredibly impressive when you consider that actually Ghost got a lot of hype to begin with. And then it felt like people went, no, oh, they're just hype. And actually, yeah. when you go back to, I know people have been talking like, oh, they're priming themselves to be festival headliners for all this, you know, years and years and years and years. I saw them on the Meliora tour, and this is only going back like four years. And they were, you know, they were playing Coco. Which is not a big venue. Oh, you were at that Coco show. Yeah, yeah I was at Coco, Coco as well. And it's not a big venue, Coco. Coco's 1400. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and they've only released one album since then. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not and they're playing to go a venue from, 10 times the size. Yeah. To go from like that one album to your next album. And, yeah. Yeah. 10, 10 times bigger. Yeah. That's not many bands have done that. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the, that was the beginning of the Meliora cycle. And this is feels like it's getting to the end of the prequel cycle surely it must be i hope it's about halfway through the meliora cycle if i remember right was it? it came out at the start of the year and that was december oh okay fair enough um yes uh yeah that was a good show that coco show um i think it's weird with ghosts because i've I, I i'm i am definitely a big supporter of them i think um when they're good i think they're brilliant um they have some of the songs that they have in their catalog are brilliant era defining songs in my opinion yeah. um they've also got a bunch of songs which are kind of eh. um but you know and i like the fact that they're doing something pretty <sighs> i was gonna i was i'm hesitating to say different it's certainly different to what's happening at the moment but something that certainly hasn't been done before they're in, they're they're melding elements that haven't been melded together before mm. if you will um, the theatrical elements of the show and things like that. And I've always kind of been very supportive of Ghosts whilst at the same time uh, being quite critical of them because if they are going to be future download headliners, whatever, bloody, bloody, blah, then, then you know, you should, you, you should be really quite um, pointed in your criticism, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Um, and I've always felt like Ghosts' show... Um, hasn't quite lived up to the aesthetic of what they do and what they what they could do. It's such a cool look and such a again I I hesitate to use the word unique look because it is you know occult stuff and all that sort of thing. Bloody bloody blah. Um, but 
it, it's a very, very cool aesthetic that they have. And I don't think they've ever quite lived up to what um, what they could do with that aesthetic. This was the first time that they'd had like full production and stuff like that. And I think they've gone in a, a curious direction, I will say. Um, they have ramped up the theatrical elements of the show and the more kind of, you know, you know, the uh, YouTube chronicles if you will that they've had with like sister imperator and all yeah. that this kind of like storyline that they've had going behind prequel which has this weird kind of almost carry on-esque humor which sometimes hits and sometimes doesn't yeah um it feels like they're trying to play that up a lot more and the law of it kind of in a baby metal way if you will actually um if you think of like the fox god and all that kind of stuff mm um with uh ghost it's you know uh cardinal copia and and the puppers and system parrot and all that kind of thing but to be honest with you i thought that it was a lot of um emperor's uh emperor's new clothes really, really? um just in the sense that there was an awful lot of pissing about <laughs> it felt like to me um at the wembley show and um, it was quite disappointing because there was a lot of times where I really felt like you should just be playing a song now. And, um, you know, instead, Cardinal Copia was coming on on a tricycle. And it was kind of had this sound effect going over it. It was rusty wheels coming on and it was comedic because they weren't quite they, they weren't quite um syncing up the the you know so he's going forward and then the the rusty wheels comes on like half a second later and that was like comedy you know or there's two (laughs) or there's two nameless ghouls who are kind of uh facing off against each other trying to do guitar solos and they're sort of purposefully a bit shit at first and then they get better and better and better and better but you know that takes up sort of seven eight minutes of the show and when they were when they didn't like they didn't play a lot of their uh i mean there's they dropped monstrance clock really? uh, they've been ending on that for years yep yeah uh and i think monstrance clock is a pretty fucking great ender um and the idea <laughs> that's quite funny because it's about female orgasm um uh and and you know they didn't play um uh secular haze for example you know the third track Mm. from um year zero which for me was kind of felt like a breakout song for them you know um and i i did think there were a few puzzle i mean i'm not i don't mind prequel oh god they didn't play um fuck what's i can't remember the name of the song but um don't you forget about dying don't you forget about your friend death? You haven't really heard prequel very much. I've have not you? really listened to prequel. I listened to it a couple of times, and I've, it, I've never really gone back to it. Yeah. It's a big song on that record. It's one, of, and and they didn't play that either. And there, there were some um, bizarre choices. I thought um, for stuff that they did play, like they played um, Spirit, which is the first song from uh, Meliora. Now Meliora is by far my favorite Ghost album, but. Spirit is not a great opener. Uh, they didn't open with it, but it's not a great 
beginning song it's not it's just not a it's not it's just not very good really and i was like you're playing that but you're not playing monstrance clock are you crazy um there were like when when they were good they were fantastic um like gula into zombie queen was absolutely amazing cersei that you know amazing riff um rats was a huge opener like everyone was singing along like people were going absolutely crazy Mm. um and there was a run at the end uh like year zero into he is into mummy dust into kiss the go-go which we haven't actually talked about but that that new standalone single the 60s sort of do whoopee inspired one oh it's fucking great it's really 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 good i mean in my opinion it's much better than most of the songs from prequel personally uh into dance macabre and then they and they they've been finishing with Square Hammer, and Square Hammer's a great song. Don't get me wrong. It's the best song they've done, I reckon. My favorite uh, song. It's just such a fucking tune. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a wonderful song, and it is amazing live. They wrote it as an opener um, yeah. on the Meliora tour because they had been opening with um, uh, Spirit. And uh, Spirit's just not a very good opener, and and they you know they admitted that and went, okay, we need to. We need to come out with a better opener, but I, I feel I don't. It's not. It's not. It's not a bad song. And I don't want to be like, oh, it was a bad ending or anything because it wasn't. But um, I just think Monstrance Clock is a better ending. Monstrance Clock does feel like more of an ender to me than Square Hammer. Exactly. Well, Square Hammer was in Metallica, didn't they? Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah they did. Oh, um, okay. so it was just. I, I wonder if. I wonder if it's gone too far the other way with the theatrical elements. And I I, I, I like the fact that, you know, because a lot of bands would just put production behind it and just put like loads of pyro or or set things on fire or something like that and do stuff which is l- less imaginative. And there is pyro and all that kind of thing. But, you know, I mean, there was one point where three uh, plague doctors in those sort of plague mask things, they just wandered on stage and everyone's like, yeah. And then they just wandered off stage and that, that, and it's like, what was the point in that? Like there were, there were so many bits where I was like, there, this isn't really adding anything. And I don't know if it's actually as funny or as amusing as they think it is. And I mean, I'm not sure how long they played two hours and it felt like Cardinal Copia was on stage for maybe 80 minutes of it because, because he's off stage, like either having a costume change whilst they're doing something else or, and I I don't know. It just, it all felt, I like the fact that they're going into, in a different direction to other bands, but I'm not convinced that it is actually a great show. To be honest, I think it's really patchy. I think when it's good, it's excellent but there were a lot of bits where I was like, I'm really bored. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was a shame because I, cause I've got a lot of time for ghosts and I think they're great. And of, of all those bands, we said it a lot. They're easily, I think our joint favorites. Yeah, to... I was weird. I mean, I, like I said, I'm not even listening. To, I'm really not really listening, listening to prequel and I'm not really, and I haven't listened to the new song and I've not seen them since prequels come out. Uh, apart from with Metallica. And they were great with Metallica, and I like them, but I think some people love them, and I like them. Yeah, like, I'm the same. I, I like them to the point where, on the day, my mate had a ticket, and he was like, do you want the ticket? And I was like, probably. And then I saw it was raining, and I went, oh, I don't want to get out of the rain. 
So I can't like them that much. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. then if Square Hammer or he is or like I was in the gym a couple of weeks ago and I was like, oh, I was listening to like Ghost Essentials yeah. playlist on Apple yeah. Music. And I was like, this is fucking good. They have enough songs now if they were to put, you know, if you did a best of playlist of Ghost now, you put like 15 songs on. They, it would be absolutely monumentally brilliant, I think, and 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 you know, and there would be songs from every single album, but the setlist choices for me, I thought, were pretty odd. Mm. Um, there were some odd omissions and uh, some odd songs that were in there, yeah. a few old ones which probably pleased the old school fans who, um, you know, saw them at the Underworld and all that crap. But you know, <laughs> I mean, would they be there? Probably not. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I have to say, the crowd lapped it up though. So maybe I'm just being, you know, moany critic. Well, I was going to say, everything that I've read from sort of Twitter and everything, people was losing their shit about it. So you are seem to be the sole dissenting voice. Which seems to be how I always am with, yeah. with um, Ghosts. Ghost. And, and, it, and, and which is a shame because I do fucking love them. I, I, well, I like them very, 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 very much. I think they are really great. Mm. Um, but I can't quite get behind everyone else's view of them being absolutely astronomical or anything like that because there are massive gaping flaws in the show and what mm. they're doing to be honest right well disappointing um the last gig we're going to talk about this week is very very different from everything we've spoken about definitely different from everything we've spoken about so far and probably very different from anything we'll speak about for a while we um really should give before we we do anything um we should give a shout out to um michael mccarthy who booked us these tickets to go and see a celebration of talk talk and mark hollis yeah. at the royal festival hall last night which is where Renfrew and i were um michael uh very kindly i was on i was on twitter going back when i had my real back when i had my proper twitter um going please is anyone a member of uh, well, like the, the South Bank, so that I can get a kind of pre-tickets allocation for this show because mm. I really desperately wanted to go, and he booked Renfrey and I tickets. So, um, which he absolutely didn't have to do, but mm. he very kindly booked his tickets. So we owe him a great debt of gratitude for it doing was, that. So thank you, Michael. It was a very touching, lovely thing for you to do. It was a really lovely gesture at a time which was very difficult for the both of us. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, and I think you know this. Uh, this year i mean i put something up on instagram today actually um with some photos of the show saying that i've only really been what i would class a fan of talk talk i've liked songs over the years but it's only really been probably the last 18 months a bit more at this point now probably um where i've properly listen to their entire back catalogue mm -hmm. i've only become a fan um as a result of this podcast and as a result mm. of you giving me spirit of eden mm. for and they are now i checked it the other day they are now my most listened to artist on spotify ah. my number one most listened to artist on spotify so i love and i've also got their entire back catalogue on vinyl <clears> at this point as well so yeah i love them and we spoke about mark hollis passing away earlier this year and the sort of the the chance to see those songs played live i mean i assumed even when i started listening to talk talk you know the, the last show talk talk played was in 1986 i mean they released two albums after that that they never played live um mark hollis disappeared from view 
completely you know we've we've kind of already spoken about all of this in in the podcast before so you know at no point did i ever think i would see any of those songs or any of that material played live so the opportunity to see that material played live for me i was as excited about this gig as i have been any gig that i can remember for I don't even know. Mm, mm. Like I was so, so, so excited about it. I think when it comes to the Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock material in particular, which are the two albums which I'm particularly fond of, uh, you pointed out yesterday that no one, uh, that, that, sorry, that they hadn't played those songs live ever at any point. And when you listen to them as well, they feel so sort of free form. And so they feel like they're being improvised on the spot. I mean, yeah, they're clearly they- not. Well, they well they were and they weren't, yeah. whether you know, but like it, it, you do kind of wonder like how would that translate live as well, you know? So I was really curious from that point of view of like how do you put these songs in a live format and how will they work and how will they come across and all mm. that sort of yeah, thing. definitely. I mean, I think that was kind of certainly. I mean, my personal favorite still remains "Color of Spring," which I think is the kind of the 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 point between those two worlds you know like yeah. i like the duran durans and yeah. the you know the, the the spandau ballets of this world but then i also like the kind of more esoteric and um challenging progressive material that was released and post post material that was released as well but spirit of eden kind of nicely sits in the middle for me so i, I really really love it but um it was um i don't really know where to start with this remfrey because it feels quite um it would feel quite mean of us i think to come on here and treat this and try and review it like a like a usual gig yeah because it wasn't a usual gig yeah um just from just from the point of view we said this on the way back um to waterloo station um we usually when we see bands we're seeing bands who are playing night after night after night on tour this is like a one-off with musicians playing in some cases material they've never played before in other cases material that they haven't played for years and years and years and years you know there there were there were you know members of i mean that's the thing they said about spirit of eden and laughing stock that material there were people who were on that stage last night who helped to create that material who actually played it who obviously you know, I think they said there was for I think it was the, one of the guitarists. They said he's not played guitar for like fifteen years or something. Yeah. And he's coming on to play this show, and it's yeah. the first like live show he's done in like eighteen or year, nineteen years yeah. or something, which is yeah, absolutely yeah, 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 yeah. insane. So yes, treating a band of kind of um, people that once played together in the late eighties um, and some kind of extra session musicians uh to play these incredibly intricate very very challenging difficult songs that have never been performed live by anyone ever ever um certainly not anyone who i mean you know i i think we'll talk about cheering breaks um in a little bit but cheering breaks um have covered talk talk but you know they're not they're not talk talk this is the closest anyone will have ever got to of seeing something approaching like maybe what it would have been like to witness those two records played live by people who create it yes um so that's very exciting but it also means it's very difficult for us to sit here and kind of analytically pick it apart in the same way as you just did with ghost yeah you're 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 i mean i don't want to be 
um, to put it a little bit more harshly, there were points where it was a bit sloppy, but then it would feel um, uh, wrong to complain about that given the circumstances, mm. I suppose is mm. fair to say. So um, I've got the little bit of paper here that, that's got all of it because there were a lot of guests and I didn't know all of them. Um, it started off with My Brightest Diamond, uh, who mm. is an artist that I'm not familiar with. Neither am I. Um, she's got a good voice. She's got a great voice. Uh, yeah, and she kicked it off. But I have to say, at that point, early on, um, <laughs> I think both of us looked at each other and went, yeah. oh dear. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit like, oh, God, how long is this show again? Uh, it was about two and a half hours. Um, she looked like she'd been frozen in time in 1984 and they just thawed her out. And like she 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 looked so 80s, which obviously is completely and utterly appropriate for the show. Um, but uh, it wasn't to my tastes, the things that she was doing i think she has a great voice as well but again her voice wasn't really to my taste i was no. a bit like uh yeah and it's hard because so i think they started it was it was happiness is, is easy um which is uh from which is from color of spring which is a song i fucking love and i sort of found myself there and um she got the um the the girl from zero seven on there as well um sophie barker i yeah, believe her name yeah, is yeah. and um and Jane Weaver uh, also came on and did sort of backing vocals. And it looked a bit like, although hearing that kind of, that bass line and that sort of slightly off, that off-kilter piano part, I, I when that happened, I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm hearing this song live. Oh my fucking God. And I've watched, like recently watched, um, you can see it on YouTube actually, and I'll probably reference it a lot during this review. But the Talk Talk Live in Montreux, nineteen eighty six, they they headlined the Montreux Jazz Festival, and you can watch it on YouTube if you if you are interested in Talk Talk and you want to see them again. You know, one of their last sort of live performances, and it is all material from that those first three records. And they were, you know, I did think to myself, like, I wonder how good a live band they were they were an, like on the strength of that performance they were an absolutely like fucking insanely brilliant live band like the sound the clarity of sound how good this is in the 80s when things didn't even sound very good at all usually in the 80s you know <laughs> um but hearing that over the the pa at royal festival hall yesterday i was like oh my god this sounds like it sounded at montreux and i was like mm. it's gonna be like they're gonna recreate that fucking incredible set and then the vibe was not the same sort of the, it was much more an 80s pop vibe yeah than which is fine but you know i think those songs although they are 80s pop songs i think they're i think they they're worth a bit more than that yes you know even I mean? e yeah even even the earlier material which is not to my tastes i think are probably worth more than that and it's kind of it's a very surface level interpretation i feel mm. to give them yeah um so initially i think both of us for the first three or four songs we were both a bit like oh god mm. um and then there was uh jonah's policewoman came on and sat by piano and was the sort of first person i think to sit down and bring a bit of introspection like sort of genuine introspection and actually kind of feel like they were getting lost in the the music a bit 
the molecules in the room changed yeah like the air changed everything changed it was just like i mean well it was the highlight her first performance was the highlight of the entire thing wasn't it It was absolutely yeah it was magical it was really really incredible it it went on a run um yeah it went on a run from there because it sort of started with a lot of a bit of the kind of not early early but sort of mid mid yeah sort of paste material or the mid-era material and then we had that and then um orlando weeks who used to be was was in the maccabees and hayden thorpe who's in wild beasts um i think back to back they did um uh, i believe in you and wealth um and when they were going into that that whole kind of when they they sort of touched on the spirit of eden mm. laughing stock material and mm-hmm. then they went you know that i can't remember who came on after that we don't have a set list or anything in front of us so this is just sort of purely by memory um it was that was 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 fucking great yeah you know yeah really genuinely genuinely fucking great because we'd had the, like i said the girl from hot chip came um the guy alexis from hot chip had come on uh um, I don't rate Hot Chip anyway. And he no. Really awkward. And then... Um, Didn't do anything for me. Zero Seven Lady came back on. Yeah. And again, it just... It was a bit kind of wedding singer. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't until the band started going through that latter period material where it just felt like the it just got quieter, didn't it? It just got kind of... And there was, there was a point towards the end of the first half where I was just like, this is the greatest thing i've ever seen this is like unbelievable you know i i, I was just on tenterhooks mm. just couldn't believe what i was seeing i wasn't quite there but i was extraordinarily moved i got very teary at one point um and i i thought it was really quite incredible um but yeah yeah uh, i think it was just uh, it was just the it was just to me it was the it was actually hearing those songs it was yeah. the fact that sure, God, sure, no sure. one's played this ever yeah right and these yeah. songs are so important to like particularly for you know the podcast we are and the type of music that we try and cover or and the type of music that both of us like you know we we mentioned talk talk so much and and like i say for me it's only been it's been less than two years that i've been a proper a proper fan of them like i bought a best of talk talk about in about 2004, I bought a Best of Talk Talk and I listened to it a few times. And I was like, oh, I like this song, I like that song, I like that song. But w- I'd never sat down and gone, I must listen to mm. Spirit of Eden until about June last year. Mm. Right. Mm. So, mm. Um, so yeah. Uh, and then it was just like, oh my fuck, oh my God, why have I waited so long to do this? And But hearing that material, um, I was struck with just like, I don't know, there's something, there's just some albums are so great um and so perfect and just they just have a, a an aura around them and hearing those songs kind of come out of the, those speakers even though you know mark collis wasn't there to it, it was just like fucking hell you're actually you're you're channeling the spirit of spirit of eden if you like mm-hmm. and uh particularly when the two guys from ride who the um yeah did uh andy bell um Andy Bell, who was in Oasis, and I've forgotten the other guy from uh, from Ride's name. I don't know, but yeah, the but, the guys from Ride were yeah. fantastic. But um, they did just two of them, like acoustic guitar and and, and Andy on uh, like they did Eden, mm-hmm. um, and 
it was just fucking amazing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. it yeah. Was, yeah, and the whole sort of first half closed just so brilliantly. Yeah. And I felt really sort of, oh, I'm so excited for the second half. Yep, very enthusiastic for the second half, was I? Mm. The second half was not very good. No, <laughs> it wasn't very good. The second half was 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 unfortunately <laughs> uh, was was not great. It's, it featured um, their biggest songs. Yeah, but it was not great. You mentioned yesterday that um, I mean they they I I I I am as I've said i am mainly a fan of the spirit of eden and um laughing stock and all of that stuff they did in the f- all of the stuff that they were going to do from those albums they did in the first half more or less didn't they one or two yeah. from those in the second half but so quite unusually i suppose this kind of makes sense really they do the experimental stuff first and then end with the hits i guess but it just Again, it was that surface level interpretation of stuff and concentrating more on kind of like the poppy elements of things. And you suddenly, the second half, I suddenly felt very aware of where I was, which Mm. was like sat in a lovely, lovely hall. Royal Festival Hall is fucking lovely. You know, I mean, it's a wonderful venue. I have no issues with the venue itself, but with a lot of white middle-class people who were just kind of, um, <laughs> who, just, you know, I don't know. Um, life is what you make it, make it comes on. It's like, Oh, I recognize this one. So yeah. I like it. Um, and it just, I don't know. I mean, call me, um, I suppose I am just giving away how kind of, uh, what's the word I'm trying to, snobby snobby yeah <laughs> yeah snobby I am. but i was i was just like this isn't interesting to me personally yeah i mean i think so simon brenner who's the original keyboard player in talk talk sort of started off the, the the second half and he brought this band with him who were a bunch of young kids who basically sort of look like young guns do you know what i mean <laughs> they look like don broco or something and i was like i don't know who they are and they weren't introduced as a band they're introduced as like just a session musician yeah so it wasn't like hey they're in a band and you should check out their band i'm just like here's this guy this guy this guy this guy yeah don't know they would and they did talk talk uh, they did the parties over and they did something else as well. And it was, uh, it was sort of um, those eighties pop songs uh, reimagined as 2010s pop songs. Mm. Like kind of, mm. like I say, it was, it was almost like watching, you know, Death Havana or someone doing a talk talk cover. And it was like, this is, this is not great. This. And I, that, do you think it was that bad? Are you just saying that? Cause they were really young. No, no, no. I, well, I, I'm Death of Anna are it, it was a, you know, it, it was kind of bland that very very polished bland quite formulaic top yeah. man rock that's what it was yeah yeah but but you know those songs played like that it was played with guitar and it was you know if it had been recorded you know it didn't sound like it sounded like they tried to modernise it and yes fine but they kind of modernised it into something you'd very bland I thought well I suppose my favourite thing about uh, and and the reason why I prefer the latter two albums to the first three is because they sound and feel so timeless. Mm. So to take material, I guess they weren't taking the timeless material, but to take material which has a sort of timeless bent to it and then try and modernise it by putting loads of things which are um, uh, sort of suitable or, 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 or are going to date it to 2019 just felt 
wrong. Yeah. It, it certainly doesn't feel like, I mean, you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I knew Mark Hollis and he wouldn't have liked that, but it doesn't feel like the sort of thing that Hollis would have wanted. No. Um, more suitable, I would say, would have been Turing Breaks um, doing a cover of Ascension Day from Laughing Stock, which I thought was fucking excellent and close to being one of the highlights of the um of the evening which i did not think i would say about during breaks at all but they were excellent yeah, i turned to you after during breaks finished and i was like if you had told me that during breaks were going to be one of the highlights of this evening i would have laughed in your face kind of thing I, but during breaks were they were fantastic they weren't were they really really they were good, excellent yeah. Yeah. and they came on i mean obviously it's the band with mate was the the spirit of talk talk band who are made up of four members of talk talk they just left and just let during breaks basically came on did a little mini kind of talk talk tribute set and yeah the idea of that i was like oh come on man just get yeah. the fucking actual band who played the stuff and you know but they, they were really really good, really good cheering really breaks good. really really very good like um, the british dave matthews band cheering breaks yeah i mean didn't really sound like it then but fine <laughs> um and then we got to kind of close up uh we got tim burgess from the charlatans i think the low point of the night for me was the biggest you know, such a shame. It was such a shame that they gave Tim Burgess a such a good song, and B, you know, I, he made bloody Serge Tanky and it download look like fucking Jason Butler. Like <laughs> t- Tim Burgess did not want to be there. At, I just like why? Why are you here? He by far got the largest cheer from the um, crowd yeah, as well. He's the most high profile person so he's from, from, there. from the Charlatans. If you're not aware. And um, he sort of ambled on in a boiler suit and he had one hand in his pocket like the whole time that he was performing. Mm. Just sort of... Looked like he didn't really know the words. Again, doing that kind of karaoke, <laughs> looking at the words in front of you thing. Yeah. Um, um, he was shit. He was fucking dreadful. Diabolical. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, again, James Policewoman and Alexis from Hot Ship came on and did It's My Life, which is one of their sort of biggest songs. And, you know, they again it, and then it, it just felt really dated didn't mm. it it just felt it just felt like a kind of it felt like a wedding sort of karaoke band mm. doing this song mm-hmm. um they ended with a cover of life what you make it again it was all a bit uh, it was all a bit weddingy i thought the guitar that famous guitar riff so loud mm-hmm. so yeah, overpoweringly yeah, loud yeah, yeah, over the top yeah. of the rest of it i was a bit like ah it's such a great song which and was a shame because you know actually the sound for the whole gig had been absolutely fantastic yeah. and on point and usually is at a venue like um royal festival hall which yeah. is actually more used to doing um classical concerts and so on and so mm. forth but you know it's an incredible setup and the sound was amazing and then yeah that guitar riff was just like it's like wow <laughs> <laughs> just from nowhere like, yeah. wow what are you doing yeah, and, yeah. He, um uh and yeah and again it was a bit kind of wedding bandy and it made me sort of what it made me realize is is that these concerts are great great to pay tribute to someone great to sort of hear this material that you never thought you'd hear and that's amazing um but what it lacks is the the reason why you're there in the first place like without mark hollis all of this just kind of yeah falls a bit flat do you know what i mean and i think we were saying just before we started recording i never listened to spirit of eden or laughing stock and go wow he's got such a great voice you know he's sort of always the to me he's the conductor and you never listen to i never listen to talk talk and go it's the voice yeah it's the 
for me it's the the sound and you know the restraint and the the quiet and the the build and all of the stuff that you kind of more associate with post rock but actually if you again i would suggest anyone who's interested in you know making some sort of comparative like having a, a comparative point to watch that montreux festival where he just clings onto the mic for the entirety of that set with sunglasses on looking down at the floor but he had so much more energy and charisma and uh just a command of people than any of anyone who was on the stage last night pretty much anyone who was on the stage last night i know obviously it's his songs but without him without his voice without the tone of his voice without the you know the the sort of the seriousness and the commitment that he gives to those songs hmm. which I, that's the difference hmm. you know a level of commitment um that gives it a, a feeling of authenticity that just without it they're just pop songs do you know what i mean mm, mm. you know they're good pop songs mm, mm. but after hearing stuff like ascension day from laughing stock which is this you know like Turin breaks in this amazing version of it this kind of epic sprawling thing or eden this like mm. do you know what i mean like hearing that stuff played live for the first time ever and then someone doing a sort of karaoke version of this song which which is worth more than that i i it just made me realise how great Mark Hollis is. Mm. It was an enormously mixed bag, to say the least. Mm. Um, but you know that's that's going to be the nature of it, isn't it? And and I'm glad they did it. You know, yeah. I, I I think it's a it was a good event to put on, and and they had some interesting guests to say the very least. I'd say I don't think any everyone sort of lived up to their billing, no. but you know I thought they definitely had some interesting guests. And as I said, you know it was really nice and to be surprised by a cheering breaks, for example, or yeah. Jonas Policewoman. I'd never really you know, I knew who she was and I'd yeah. heard of her and stuff like that. But I'd never checked her out at all. And yeah. now, like after that incredible piano performance, I'm like maybe I should actually check out some Jonas Policewoman. You know, mm. um, so yeah, it was a very interesting night. Um, at times absolutely amazing at times yeah i mean wedding yeah seeing a bad wedding singer is actually quite a good yeah, <laughs> way to sum it up shame. i mean there was i'd say there's sort of 20 minutes half an hour where i was just like i can't believe i'm seeing this this is unbelievable. yeah that sounds fair um and it was probably worth it just for that yeah 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 yeah. i would agree. agree um but yeah uh, it would have been nice to i think for the influence that they've had he deserved a bit more than like the bloke from Hot Chip in a fucking, you know, prison jumper. Yeah. And Tim Burgess in a fucking, in a onesie, like sort of yeah. shuffling around the stage. Yep. But hey, you're right. I'm glad, I'm glad it happened. Yeah. I just, you know, imagine that the Freddie Mercury concert of James Hetfield just sort of come out in slippers and the go stone concrete. Yeah. Yeah. He'd have been like, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. but I don't know. I mean, I guess Queen and Talk Talk are a very different proposition. Of course they are, but you know they should be both. Like, I wasn't. Expect- I didn't want Jamie Jaster to come out. Do you know? What no, I mean? no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know but what you mean. I think you know there was just an. App- there was only a few people. There's only a couple of people. Like the guy from Wild Beasts. I've forgotten his name. Off the top of my head again. The guy from Wild Beasts. Yeah, he, he had it. Yeah, he was good. I think although the guy from the Maccabees was 
a bit awkward, I thought, but I thought at least he kind of he's got to say Timber Timber to his voices, Mark Hollis and yeah, you know. But that was more about the music. I think I think I think the difference is like Queen, there's an obvious showmanship. Talk the the talk talk showmanship is is nowhere near as obvious. Um and you could misinterpret them as having no showmanship at all and so therefore shuffling on with your hands in your pockets is absolutely fine but it actually isn't there's actually a kind of uh more esoteric sort of showmanship that you need to commit to commit to yeah Yeah. um watch that montreux festival set it's fucking great anyway all right let's do some reviews and start with beck renfrey hyperspace oh it's it's the hyperspace album by beck hansen uh, I don't want to do it in an American accent because he's American. He's the slacker alt rock icon, isn't he, Beck? Yeah. Um, there's still no need for the American accent, but that's fine. Wow, you know, that's a bit of fun for everyone. <laughs> Hopefully they enjoyed that. Uh, the follow up to 2017's highly successful Colors album from 2017. Oh, I like Beck. Yeah. Oh, I like Beck. Yeah. Big time. Um, favorite Beck album? Uh, well, um, I don't, I'm not super au fait with Beck, so I'm going to have to say Mellow Gold. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But the reason I have to say Mellow Gold is because it's. I mean, I've definitely heard Odelay and Mellow Gold in full. I don't know. Uh, well, and Hyperspace, obviously, or Hyperspace. <laughs> um, I don't think I've heard any other Beck albums in full. Midnight Vultures for the win, by the way. Right. Mine, right. 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 Controversial opinion. Uh, when Beck tried to go like Prince. Oh right. Fucking okay. Excellent. Um, excellent. Record. He is certainly a chameleonic called chameleonic mm-hmm. definitely mispronounced that a bit like nemenenorian yeah. um but um like incredibly versatile chameleonic <laughs> uh singer songwriter dude he is um, who i have an awful lot of respect for but i've never properly gone in on him because i feel like uh he feels like one of those artists that you could love some albums by him and you could really hate other albums by him i think that's fair he's got a few that i don't really care for right i think his first he was on a run he, he gets a run of about five i think where everything's like bang 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 this is so fucking great okay and then he hits like mm, i would probably have to go back to some of the kind of mid noughties beck stuff i reckon because it was a lot more uh when he went a bit more lo-fi a bit more acoustic-y it was all a bit more chilled um, and then he's kind of found a, a groove of being like um, a, a bit more of a pop star and quite a good one at that as well. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the, the songs on Colours, uh, the last record, are, you know, modern pop. It was Grammy nominated, wasn't it? It was Grammy nominated. Well, he... Um, he what did he win? Well, he won, uh, he won the Grammy uh, in 2015 and it all kicked off, didn't it? All kicked off because... Um, uh, you know, he uh, he beat Beyonce and Kanye West tried to get up on stage and um, and have a duke it out with him, didn't he? Remember that? I care so little for the Grammys that I believe this is the first time I'm hearing this. Wow, I'm I'm in my it's own quite a big. I mean, that's a pretty big. I'm under a pretty thing. I'm under a pretty big rock. Yeah, <laughs> to be I honest, mean, that, is, that wasn't just big in music world. That was like big. That was like, that was really, that was really big. Totally missed it. Did you? Yeah. I worked for a national newspaper at the time. It was probably <laughs> on the front cover of that national newspaper. <laughs> yeah, it could well have been. Yeah. No, missed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or, well, I've, or I've forgotten, but no, I don't recall that at all. But fine. Yeah. Lovely stuff. That's exciting. Well, one of the things that, that was 
said back in 2015 when Beck won um, that album of the year Grammy and beat Beyonce and people were like people were you know there was sort of a lot of back and forth um, between sort of Beck fans and Beyonce fans and people singing up for Kanye West as well one of the things people said about Beck was like well look he wrote all of that album which he did um, he played most of it I think there's still quite a lot of people with the engineering and, and that lot obviously you know producers and engineers these days sure but he's, he's a very talented multi-instrumentalist very, very talented and i imagine he played a lot of it he yes. but he did play a lot of it and there were a few people that came on did like backing vocals or one yeah, instrument yeah. for one song or whatever but you know the majority of it you could go like that is beck um um there are 44 personnel involved in the recording of this record fucking hell yeah, so immediately that says to me, this pop is... Pop album. <laughs> well, yeah, and Colours kind of was a pop album, mm, um, mm, mm. but a pretty good one. Uh, now, in this case, he is roped in. Um, he's roped in the, 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 <laughs> the multi-talented Pharrell Williams, Renfrey. <laughs> Are you reading that or is that uh, a something that you think... Uh, of Pharrell Williams multi-talented well listen right Pharrell Williams back in and the Neptunes back in the early noughties were probably I would say almost singularly responsible for getting me out of metal as new metal died in its arse right. and as emo became kind of a bit shit and pop punk was sort of everywhere um, everything that Neptunes and Pharrell Williams touched uh, and it was around that time you think Missy Elliott came out and Outcast, like Love Below and Speaker Box and that, those sort of records, and um, Justified by Justin Timberlake, which might mm -hmm. people might be like, but it was great record, incredible record, yeah. and it just felt like, uh, and it wasn't long after, you know, kind of Eminem was big at that point. Dr. Dre's um, the the two thousand one. Um, You're talking out, right? just past the turn of the millennium, yeah. two thousand two, and it felt like at that point pop music was was genuinely more exciting and more mm -hmm. interesting mm -hmm. than rock music. And you're talking about huge, 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 huge acts. Uh, and Pharrell Williams played, uh, you know, a monumental part in, in, in doing that. And uh, as time has kind of gone on, like he's been involved in some albums I love. I think he did Love Angel Music Baby by Gwen Stefani as well, I believe. Okay. To add another one of those ones in, which I think is a fucking excellent record. Um, the this decade to me has seen Pharrell Williams become a pretty unwanted blot on on music. Robin Thicke and Blurred Lines. I did not need that. That song is Pharrell Williams responsible for that in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Mm. Um, My respect for him has gone down even further. Okay, that happy song that is is ironically because I. I get so miserable every time I hear that song. <laughs> and anyone who gets happy listening to that song, I I don't want them to be happy, I'm afraid. I want them to be very, very unhappy. I have to say I'm completely... Um, I don't really have a strong opinion on happy one way or the other. I'm like, yeah, it's quite Sing nice. Rubbish. It's <laughs> rubbish. Okay. I mean, I mean, know. I think it's rubbish. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I, I can't stand it. So I'm 
you know, and he's co-written everything. This is co-written. It's co-written everything. Do you want to fact check that? Well, most of the stuff on this record. Oh, so <laughs> I thought you were saying he's co-written everything in the no, world. No, on this record, he has he has a he has, he a has co- writing collaborations. He on has most a co-writing credit on all but two, three, four. <laughs> four of the eleven songs have been co-written by Pharrell Williams on this record. Have or haven't? Sorry, have. Oh, okay. What? So he's so he's only written he's only co-written four of the. No, no, he's co-written seven. Seven. Yeah. Oh, maths. Um, but obviously he's produced the whole fucking thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Pharrell Williams is 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 involved. Um, Yeah. Well, they were they um, met and they they were going to originally going to collaborate on. either a single or an EP, uh, but decided that there was enough material to make it an album. Mm. Um, I reckon they probably should, there, probably should have stuck to a single. Is Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not convinced. Uh, this no. is quite a short album as well, isn't it? It is a short album. It's just shy of 40 minutes. Yeah, it, it's the, it, the thing about, that I always like about Beck is actually they are, you can get right into a Beck album and it, will take you in many many different directions over the course of about an hour this is what 38 minutes it's long, 39 it? something 39 yeah yeah it's not very long and it's pretty in and out and it starts kind of a little bit jaunty and mm. it ends quite slow and that's it there's, there's not yeah there's not much of a journey to this record really mm. um I think there are quite a few modern pop style elements on it, which we both moan about quite regularly on this podcast, more me than you. Uh, but there are bits of auto tune yeah. stuff and there are kind of zeitgeisty things in it, which I feel will probably date it to this era. Mm-hmm. Um one thing I will say, I feel like they are incorporated in a classier way than a lot of other stuff that I hear, but it is a very backhanded compliment because I do hate what they're using. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for the most part, it's a very I think zeitgeisty is the right word. It's very yeah. very zeitgeisty. I find the first lots of eighty synths, lots of eighty synth, but kind of done now, which exactly it's yeah. kind of. The 80s sounded like the 80s, where now sort of sounds like, haha, remember the 80s. Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Which, you know, uh, I don't, I'm getting a, a little bit bored of, even as someone who likes the 80s. Yeah, yeah, even as someone who, who likes it, I mean, you're, you're far keener on that. Um, I mean, t- you know, c- this is a more day glow perturbator, um, yeah. but but that well, is. You, you mentioned the Drive soundtrack last week, and I think yes. you could kind of, this would be, if, if Drive was a PG. Yeah, <laughs> the sort of second yeah. half of this record which i much prefer to the first half yes. i have to say yes um you know uh the first few first three songs get kind of increasingly more and more obnoxious to me mm. um saw mm. lightning being the one where i just think this just sounds like the black eyed peas covering the pet shop boys and it is rubbish that yeah is absolutely rubbish it's incredibly throwaway 
Yeah. Uh, I find, uh, if I'm totally honest, I find most of this album throwaway. I'd even say the material that I do like, and there is material I do like. It's all in the second half of the record. Absolutely. Um, But even the stuff that I like, so I would say um, Stratosphere, I think is a quite nice song. Yep. Um, It has sort of like a dream vaguely dream poppy kind of yeah. aesthetic so got, to it yeah, i guess kind of, yeah dream pop is exactly what i've written down here you know that features chris martin as well oh i didn't realize that no, mm-hmm. no. so <laughs> after the shit we gave him last week well done chris martin you're on i would say the second best song on the on, on this beck album yes i i would say that um the best song for me is by far and away everlasting nothing which is the last absolutely song yeah comfortably the best song yeah um, probably the best track and it builds to incorporate elements like brass and female gospel mm. vocals and it it builds to this really big interesting thing and it has lots of ingredients in it you know it has lots of things going on it's the longest song on the album by quite some way it's only like five and a half minutes yeah, or something minutes, yeah but even that song, despite having all those elements and all those ingredients, even that song feels a little bit throwaway to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that song. And, I, I like it and too. I, and the reason I like it is because it actually sounds like Beck. Right, right, right. I don't think anything else in this record, and that sounds stupid because like you said at the start, Beck's a chameleon. He what is. does he actually sound like? Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. there is an essence of Beck yeah. in everything that he does. Yeah. Like yeah. even when he was doing the really, really super kind of what you would think is quite throwaway pop stuff on, on the last record, you still were like, that's Beck. Yeah. You know, even if you go back to the very minimalistic acoustic stuff, that's Beck. If you go back to the kind of alt rock stuff or, you know, particularly on Odelay, you know, which is his, his, uh, is it his most critically acclaimed album at this point? Certainly was when I was growing up. And it's, I think it's, it's considered the classic album, isn't it? I'm, yeah. I'm not sure it is anymore, actually. What do you think it is now? Um, I, I think there's a few. Oh. I think I think the 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 um the sort of the uh what's it called the um uh, the consensus of what the best Beck album is uh kind of depends on your age. Oh, fair. I believe. Fair, fair. You'd know more than yeah. I do. I mean, for me, I, I always go to Odelay. Like, I was always told that that is the one. Um, yeah. I think um, Sea Change um, and like, obviously Morning Phase uh, being the one that won the Grammys, I think, has are, are both sort of quite considered, you know, being like potentially his best record. Okay. But I think Odelay is still one that people, you know, do do talk right about. yeah i mean yeah, i yeah. saw him on when he was touring odelay back in 1997 and he was fucking amazing oh, cool. and I, I you know i do i really i really really like that record a lot mm. yeah it's mm. really good um but it's wild it's really it's all over the fucking place do you yeah. know what i mean it's absolutely mad that record and yet there is a essence beck, beck an essence of beck yeah throughout um and that song is pretty much the only song on the record that has that i think uh, which is a bit of a shame. I mean, I do think the first half, there's not really anything that I, n- nice that I can say about it. It just feels like Bar Beck's voice, which is relatively... Um, subdued? Uh, well, it's, that wasn't what I was going to say. It is relatively subdued, but but it's relatively um, recognisable. Yeah. Um, if you took Beck's voice away, it could easily be any... I mean, uh, see-through, for example, could be any modern r&b song couldn't it yeah if you just took beck away from it just like fucking shite soundcloud rapper yeah this bollocks and like funnily enough a lot of the 
a lot of the first half of this record, rather than sounding like a Beck record, it sounds like a record that Beck's guesting on rather yeah, than, yeah. you know. And that's not usually the case with him, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like he's no. very, he is very good at turning his hand to lots of different stuff. But this is, I mean, it's got Pharrell's fucking fingerprints all over it, this has. This is Pharrell's fault, is it? I think it is. Hmm. It has to be. I pro- I, I, it probably is. I, I feel like I don't know enough about either artist to, to say that cast iron but yes i i'm willing to go with you that it is i'm yeah. quite happy to diss feral feral williams i don't really have much time for him so you know yeah yeah it's a shame this because um it just doesn't even it's it's one of the few times i've gone i've thought it doesn't even feel like a beck album and it's got like i said 44 personnel on the recording process um which is not not even that many compared to like <laughs> some pop records no uh so you know but for beck it feels like for someone who is so single mind for someone who is so single-minded in their artistic vision and who has you know spent their career being you know so um so sure about what it is that they want to do this album feels like a bit of a compromise it feels like a bit of a loose thing do you know what i mean yeah as again i'm just going to go back to that throwaway word it just feels really not non-existent but very background and just very much like how a lot of modern pop is produced or whatever in, in such a way that it's meant to be nice background noise and not much more than that except it's it's more irritating really it's just like it's an irritating record it's like a mm. scratch on your back which you can't quite reach it's mm. just an irritant yeah it's a shame it is a shame anyway i don't really have anything else to say about it it's a bit of a non-goer i don't have a lot to say about it no uh that's beck hyperspace is out now um Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Let's move on. Lindemann is our next album. F&M, uh, the record is called. It's the second album from the German super duo. Wow, they're not actually German. German. Super German. Super duo. Not my words, Lynn. The words of their <laughs> Wikipedia page. Super duo. What does that mean? They're a duo and they're super, supposedly. Right, okay. Um, so, although um, one of them is Swedish. Yeah, Peter from uh, Hypocrisy and Till from Rammstein, obviously. Heard of them? Yeah. Uh, you know, good on paper, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Um, Peter's also in a band called Hurt. Pain. Pain, that's it. Which I believe is more like what this project Industry. is like, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I've heard Hypocrisy, but I've not heard Pain, so I can't um, I, I have heard for Pain, that. and I don't think they're very good. Okay. But Hypocrisy are good. Um, this is the follow-up to their debut album, Skills and Pills, from 2015. Do you know how Till and Peter met? No. They were introduced uh, in a pub in uh, Sweden, I believe, I believe Stockholm, by members of Clawfinger. No. Yes. God. That is the second best way a band got together that we'll mention this week. Because <laughs> there's one coming up later about how a band got together, which is brilliant. But um, cool. Uh, okay. So, yeah, their second record, um, FNM. I have to say, I never listened to the first Lindemann record. Darn, because neither did Darn, because neither did I. Uh, I didn't listen to Skills and Pills either. Yeah, because yeah. I just sort of thought, what's the point of this? Well, the thing is, um, I th- maybe I'm talking for both of us. Um, I mean, speak up if I'm not, but I think we both like Ramstein, 
Do, you, do either of us love Ramstein? Love them live, obviously. Live, sure, but that's a different thing. And I do, li- yeah, and I like them a lot on record. Yeah, I yes, that, I, I would say that. I mean, I I, I reach for a Ramstein record. Uh, reach for a Ramstein record. <laughs> it's probably riser, riser, reach. Sorry, go on. Wow. Um, <laughs> uh, interesting sort of mashup. I don't know what's going on. Uh, no, I don't either. God. Um, I, you know, I, I, if I'm really in the mood for Ramstein, I'm fucking loving it and I'm into yeah. it. But, but it, it's not, it's not usually where where I go all that often. You know, I was quite keen on the um record that came out this year. It's not in my top twenty. Spoiler no. alert. It's not going to yeah. be in yours either, is it? Nope. Um you know it, it it's fine but when Lindemann released skills and pills i wasn't in a massive rush to be like oh my god i must check that out because i'm not enough of a fan of rammstein to i think i read reviews much. and i saw a bit of it and it was like oh you know he's taking the stuff he does with rammstein and because he's got such a recognizable voice as well yeah i mean that is yeah. one thing you have to say absolutely in his language and with his timber and his tone and the way that he sings um it's very difficult to listen to anything and think oh well, that doesn't sound like ramstein well this is an interesting thing because skills and pills was sung predominantly or maybe even completely in english uh in order to get away from the ramstein comparisons ah. whereas this isn't and yeah. um for much of the record i couldn't help but feel i i, I was trying to imagine if uh universal had given me this album and said this is the next ramstein album if if i would have just gone yeah, I, be- I believe it is. <laughs> well, you would have gone, oh, Ramstein have released a Duff album. Um, do you know what? Um, no, I don't think I would have. I th- I think I uh, would have gone, they've released a Patchy album. Mm. But I don't think I would have said a Duff album. No, maybe Duff. I, I, yeah, I think under the Ramstein banner this would have been a, a bit, bit of, a, of a disappointment quite a disappointment to me yes mm, a bit there's of nothing as good on here as like when well, you got pupper there's no on... no no but pupper is Oof. there's nothing as good on here as deutschland i don't think either um you know in terms know. of this is an absolute banger this is a rager this mm. is going to sound great on festival stages with a load of stuff getting blown up around it i don't just just you know i just don't think there is and it's weird because you know let's not skirt around the issue here <laughs> you're right it sounds like ramstein and it's weird. a lot of it does and weirdly i have read a lot of reviews which are praising this album as a potential album of the year contender going if you think this is going to be rammstein you better think again and it's like really <laughs> they just heard rammstein and gravity kills the i i do i think i think it's fair to say that three quarters of this record could easily be mistaken for rammstein and that's yeah, no disrespect to lindemann or rammstein or till or anyone but i i think if you it's told a, me it's three weird when of it. people do this I, I i i always kind of struggle and scratch my head when I, like i've just um filed the review for the upcoming jaster album actually mm-hmm. the metal hammer mm-hmm. um which i gave a pretty good review to i think it's a you know it's a good record um but it's jamie jaster going solo and you just think like if angry. you're gonna go solo surely like even though i didn't really like that mark morton album but you go okay well this is some of that's quite different, different yeah. from lamb of god yeah um i'm trying to think of other people who have gone and done solo material and it's been you know kind of completely different because weirdly people often do go solo and well, like miles kennedy miles kennedy's in alterbridge 
And then he goes and does the sort of solo acoustic tour. Now, Alterbridge have some softer moments, but that's completely different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or Danny War's not being in Asking Alexandria and doing a country album. Like Chris Cornell's solo material is yeah. pretty different to yeah, Soundgarden definitely. and all that yeah. kind of and thing. For and sure. Slave, yeah. And you just think like, Jamie Jester's gone, uh, with the Jester album, he's gone and got a load of vocalists to kind of sing on. So you would go, you know, first, do you like Hatebreed? Yes, I do. Okay, great. Um, what, what else do you like? Do you like death metal? Yeah, yeah. All right, well, listen to the one with the guy from Cannibal Corpse on. Uh, do, or do you like hardcore? Yeah, yeah. Listen to the one with Billy from Biohazard. Do you like metalcore? Yeah, listen to the one with Howard Jones on. And then, you know, you know whether you... That's it. It's kind of like a, a, to like a, a tick box of whether yeah. you're going to like it or not. Yeah, yeah. And you sort of think, like, this is cool and everything, and it's got, oh, I like those vocalists, so I like this. I mean, this doesn't even have that. No, no, it doesn't. What it does have, I would say... I, I much prefer that. I think this record is at its best when it's experimental and a bit odd. It is very odd. It's, it's, it's a, yeah, there's some, some odd shit on it. Particularly towards the end. Um, so this record was kind of originally kind of meant to be a soundtrack for a um, play, a version of Hansel and Gretel. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, which is very Rammstein-esque if you think about it, if you think yeah. about the fairy tale of Hansel and Gretel. And there are a couple of songs on this album. Mm. Uh, which I can't remember the name of, um, but they f- they are basically Till being backed by piano and a big fucking orchestra, and they do sound like you know Till gone to the musicals mm. kind of thing. And actually, I was quite I wouldn't have wanted a whole record of it, but a couple of songs. But it, I quite I quite liked it. I thought it was really yeah. bombastic and odd I, and and extravagant in a really cool, weird, Ramstein esque yeah, way. <laughs> Ramstein do do that. I, I would just argue yes, the quality of the songs are slightly better. And yes, I agree. Like you know, they're very striking. Like I put this on at work with my mate at work, and he was like, "What the actual fuck is this? <laughs> what is this? It's fucking dog shit." And I was like, "Well, come on, man. It's just like it's different to what you usually listen to because it's in a different language, and it's." not got traditional instruments like traditional rock instruments in it it's more kind of like you say orchestral and bombastic and stuff a lot I mean, of a lot of it, it is traditional rock instruments though no, but i'm talking about the ones that those songs yeah i mean thank you again for picking me up on something which absolutely was so unnecessary but <laughs> but when those tracks are on he was like what is this this is fucking stupid it's stupid it's stupid and i was just like well you know i guess people who don't care to listen to anything which isn't really really very base level and simple would probably find this incredibly challenging but the reality of is this record weird and challenging not really not compared to a lot of the stuff that we talk about if if we put this record next to swans no this is not a challenging record but um i would argue the same of rammstein um even even but but I, i mean the difference here is there is nothing on this record to me that is like as like when I saw well, I mean the video for Deutschland I first saw when I when I watched the that I watched when I first heard the song hmm. but I do think that song is massive yeah and there's not a lot on here where you go fucking hell that's massive there's a couple there's a couple gummy I think is gummy. is uh track nine is is pretty big okay didn't odd yeah. but mm-hmm. big um Nebel as well I quite like love Nebel um, and his gag yeah starts with an acoustic guitar until sort of just sort of crooning over an acoustic guitar and then about two minutes 30 in the like distorted distorted guitars just 
burst through and the dynamic between the two yeah uh, a bit of an odd comparison but it's a little bit like that dynamic between uh, uh on that uh pup song um if this tour doesn't kill me then i will mm. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's odd it, comparison it is an odd comparison but yeah i, I see what you're saying you see what I mean. um I find it very, very strange. I think I just find it strange that this is, you know, we've waited how many fucking years we wait for a Ramstein album? Like nine years? About nine or ten, yeah. Nine or ten years? Yeah. And then a few months later, this comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, mm, yeah. you should have we- waited like a year, maybe? I don't. Yeah. Weirdly, despite it taking so long for that Ramstein record to come out, I don't really feel like I need another one yet. Straight, yeah, you know, straight afterwards. No. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I feel think like... if you'd have let, if Ramstein had toured with the album for a couple of years and then gone away, and then this had come out and it had come into the, yeah. you know, to us, and we'd been like, oh, well, it's Till Lindemann from Ramstein, but it was only four months ago that we were reviewing the Ramstein album. Yeah, yeah, I can't argue with that. Definitely not. Um, I'm a bit like, well, I've got a Ramstein album to listen to, but is it? But is it? Um... Is it right to judge an album because the timing of it coming out is not good? You know, I'm not judging it because of the because timing of, of the album, but I'm just sure. saying that like it's a weird thing to do when yeah. you're in this massive fucking yeah. huge band. Like the timing is undoubtedly it would be like odd. you know like if a Foo Fighters album came out and then Taylor Hawkins and the Coattail Rides or whatever that came out like a, a a few months later and would be like well, no one's gonna listen to that they're just not going to mm. like, it'd mm. be very very unlikely mm. that you would. Mm. Um, and apart from Die Hard Ramstein, yeah, or like or you know, <laughs> we're finally getting a new Guns N' Roses album and the original lineup, and then Duff McKagan's likely, and Duff McKagan's loaded, loaded new album will be out <laughs> three months from now. So get ready for that. I just don't think people would. And and yes, you're right. Like I'm not. I can't judge the quality of this album based on how quickly I've had a Ramstein album. I just yeah, yeah. I just felt that it was an odd thing to do. No, I definitely agree. I felt like and my... you can't help but compare the two, and the Ramstein album is far better than this. It's enormously difficult not to compare the two. I felt like my palate has, has yet to be cleansed from the Ramstein record in order to prepare myself for this. Mm. <laughs> that sounded wanky. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, but to be honest with you, when it's good, I really like it. There's a song called Blut, which is blood yep. uh, that has some really lovely, like chorus drenched reverb guitars, which go up against the distorted guitars. And I think that sounds really, really cool. Um, as I said, I really like the orchestral uh, plinky plunky material. It's a uh, wee weeb. Oh, why am I even bothering? Where we just shoon, which means who's the woman and schlauf ein, which means go to sleep. Um, and you know, those are really cool. I really like those songs. I think they're really interesting and odd and strange. And I think that's when the album is at its best. There is a song, I mean, th- what the one song on this record, which I don't think Rammstein ever would have done. And uh, thank fuck for that. But that mathematics song, which is the technically the last song on the album, there is, there is like a bonus edition, which has a, um, a sort of kind of remix of one of the songs on it as well yeah. but mathematics basically feels like a weird sort of dark trip hoppy type thing with till lindemann over the top and um i think till is an, a pretty extraordinary vocalist in many ways in in the, the manner in which he could adapt himself to lots of different things yeah. and it's probably enormously underrated for that um but this is one of the few styles that i don't think he can adapt to <laughs> yeah, it's not good. And no it's not that it, that was an odd 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 moment i mm. thought um but you know my overall thought i i don't mind this at all i think it's pretty good i don't 
think I'm going to go back to the whole thing. Uh, I might go back to odd songs from it, but my feeling with it really is like, if you really love Rammstein, then you'll probably really, really like this. Yeah, I guess I don't like Rammstein as much as I thought I did. <laughs> I, 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 well, I, I've always known I, I like Rammstein a lot, but I've never, like, except live, I've never adored, I've never adored Rammstein, you know, I've always mm. just really liked them. Um, and I think, I think this is going to be more than enough for a lot of Rammstein fans, but then there's going to be a lot of people who are just like, yeah, it's, uh, I just can't I just can't find any excitement about it I can't I can't muster up any kind of enthusiasm for it I just can't sorry I've done the best I can and that's about as exciting yeah. as I'm gonna so get. there you go F&M by Lindemann um, <laughs> Ramstein self-titled album is out as well <laughs> uh, all right, if, if it were a Ramstein album where would you put it? I wouldn't put it up very high I've got to be honest hmm. I mean I would it would be fairly low. I think even, like I said, I think even for a Ram, you know, even as someone who's not like, I sit down and listen to Ramstein albums all the way through and think what an incredible body of work this is. I, I do really, you know, but I, there are Ramstein albums that I listen to all the way through. I think this is great. But they've got a couple of ho-hum records and I think okay. even they are better than this. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next album comes from Cattle Decapitation. It is the eight al- eighth album from the San Diego Death Grind Legends. Yeah, why not? Uh, the follow up to the excellent The Anthropocene Extinction from 2015, which we did on a previous Writers review. Go over to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast and you can listen to that and many more of our Writers reviews. We did that with Brady from Conjurer. Um, I was a massive fan of that record hmm. and I do hugely respect Cow Decapitation. Um, for a myriad of reasons. Um, Renfrey, I know for a fact, because we've spoken about it, that you weren't as keen on the Anthropocene extinction as I was. No, I think it's a good record, undoubtedly, and I understand why it got a lot of press, because it seemed to come out of... Cattle Decapitation was just one of those bands who were a sort of death metal band kind of thing. Um, and then this, And then the Anthropocene... Oh, what was it? The yeah, Anthropocene yeah. Extinction came out, and people were like, "Oh my god, cattle decapitation are yeah. incredible!" Um, and I definitely recognise the talents of Travis Ryan, uh, of which there's a lot of very interesting Travis Ryan stuff on this album. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess we are talking about a genre which I'm, you know, I'm not a massive death metal guy anyway. Mm. I did you know it's the same with black metal really i dip my toe in and the stuff that i like i like but i'm quite happy having kind of like i don't know an overall best of death metal stuff rather than <laughs> it's the in. best of death metal <laughs> <laughs> with stephen hill um yeah um so they're not a band who who really get my juices flowing i guess okay um so this should be an interesting conversation yeah i think um i was really excited to hear death atlas because you know as i mentioned i think the anthropocene extinction is one of the best extreme certainly one of the best death metal albums and they've been one of the consistently been one of the best grindcore into 
death metal into whatever it is that they are trying to do because they are a fairly unique band for a genre which has quite a rigid rule book just as a super quick aside at the risk of sounding stupid um i've only heard the last this album and uh, the last one the anthropocene extinction Mm -hmm. i don't hear much grind in cattle decapitation you gotta go right back to start do you right there we go yeah yeah um, and that's what I mean about their their growth um, and their journey as a band. Like they are, for me, you know, there's there, there, there is no grindcore left in them. But there, no, but I don't was. feel like there is anymore. No. Yeah, but there was. Okay, and um, you know, and so I've I've actually quite enjoyed seeing that. And a lot of my favourite, well, one of my <laughs> Napalm Death that have quite a similar. Um, sort of career trajectory although they did it a lot quicker um going from kind of warp speed grindcore carcass another band who do that i feel like Absolutely. some of the very very best bands in extreme music do go from uh grind in napalm's death case from grind to death metal to uh, back and back again yeah um yeah. but um but cattle decapitation found themselves i think in after the anthropocene extinction in a place where they had developed into a very unique sounding death metal band um with no fucks given in terms of their levels of extremity and yet they still manage i think we spoke about the fact that this got to like number 44 or something on the yeah. on the us billboard top yeah. 200 which is insane for the field that it's in it the anthropocene extinction did so incredibly well it's yeah. it's crazy how well yeah. that did really really the uniqueness of cattle decapitation would you put that solely down to travis ryan or are there other elements i think I'm well i think i would put about 80 percent of it down to travis ryan okay i think you know they're obviously a very very talented group of musicians i think they write really really good songs i think they have a very excellent command of their instruments and of the the vibe that they're trying to create and the vibe that they're trying to create is quite a rare thing in death metal maybe not so much in in grindcore which is much more of a sort of cross-punk left-leaning you know um genre whereas death metal can be a bit more rednecky you know what i mean how does the vibe uh, differ oh so it's in in the fact that it's more liberal yeah, as opposed to yeah, yeah. conservative yeah, yeah yeah um you know death metal there, there is like it's not always that way inclined um and uh and i think you know they are conceptually minded as a band the that's definitely exception um was a uh a kind of um uh a concept record and this is i think a kind of follow-on from that there definitely seem to be themes which are which are um th- there's very similar themes on both records about sort of um uh the world going to shit basically environmental concerns and causes and so yeah, on and so forth yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and they draw from you know their, their kind of imagination of what the world will look like if we continue down this yeah uh this uh this path of how the, the way the environment is treated um it's an interesting conceptual idea for an extreme metal band to have it's not just about you know blood and guts and torture and murder and rape and violation and all that kind of really shit typical stuff that lots of death metal has yeah been about so it's interesting because it's still an extreme topic but Mm. it is something that is actually potentially a reality in fact it's looking like it may well be a reality which is fucking scary but um 
Yeah, yeah. It it actually feels real as opposed to, you know, demons like ripping apart a lady by her genitals or something like mm, that. Mm, mm. Which is what your solo album's about, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Uh, but it's a trap, um, uh, like a sort of SoundCloud rap thing. <laughs> Sell a billion copies of it. Um, so anyway, um, this also is the band's first album to feature second guitarist. Um, I have to see if I can say this person's name right. Belisario de, de Muzio and new bassist Oliver Pinard, Olivier Pinard. Um, it's also their longest record at 55 minutes. Renfrey is pulling a face as the, um, you know, kind of anal timekeeper that you are, <laughs> Renfrey. Um, anal timekeeper. I like that as a <laughs> nickname. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, it's the anal timekeeper. Yeah. Um, so that could have many different connotations, couldn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it could be. Sorry. Yeah, um, so, um, yeah. I mean, how do you feel about it lengthwise? Because I, I think you can only handle, I don't mean you, I mean one can only handle, most people can only handle this amount of brutality for a finite amount of time. Mm. And I've spoken many, many times about the the seesaw of, you know, getting it from this is good, this is good, this is all good, to suddenly tipping over like, I've heard it all now. Mm. Mm. Um, it will probably come as no surprise to anyone that I do think this record is too long. But um, when I loaded it up and I saw 55 minutes, I was like, oh, 55 minute death metal album. I, I it, it was it went quicker than I expected it to. Mm -hmm. I do still think it is too long. Um, but, um, you know, from the reviews that I've read, this is uh, supposedly Capitation's most melodic album. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, we should we should remember that this is a death metal album. So to say it's their most melodic album. I don't I mean, there think is, there is one song on it towards the end. Um, I'm fairly unfamiliar with the song titles, actually, I have to be honest, but I think... The penultimate song is is like yes. all sang with like piano and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's fuck, it Time's Cruel Curtain. Is that the one? Or the un unerasable past? It's the unerasable, the unerasable past, past yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's a full blown. I mean, I, I I stopped short of calling it ballad, but it's it's not it's not you know a um it's not a death metal song. No, I think. Um, I think by that point in the album, I was like, oh, I wish you'd done that a little bit earlier because it felt a little bit too little too late. It's also, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that it's not a song, but it does feel like an extended interlude, that yeah, song, maybe. as opposed to a song. Uh, there's a couple of interludes on this record, um, which break it up quite nicely, um, which is probably part of the reason that it doesn't feel... Um, doesn't feel like 55 minutes but i for my taste at least i'm i'm well aware that the majority of cattle decapitation fans aren't going to give a shit that it's like 55 minutes long and are actually going to be quite happy with the length of it but for, for my taste and for what i like in music we talk about dynamics all the time yada 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 um this may well be cattle decapitation's most dynamic record but for me i don't think in the grand scheme of things it's that dynamic there are definitely dynamics on it but i don't think it's super 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 dynamic is it um really? yeah, for a death metal record for a death metal it, record it sure you yes. know for a death metal yes. record yes it is um and like you say it, you i guess you have to kind of judge it from within 
what as i mentioned at the start a, a genre which has a very tight framework for you to walk you know to kind of maneuver in yes. and the fun um i, I think, think the best bands are the ones who kind of manage to maneuver that in the most unusual ways and i think cattle decapitation absolutely do do this yeah i'll give them that I, what i would say to that is when i will agree with you is that i do think this record is too long i don't know what i would take out of it um oh, okay to shorten it particularly i think there's about two thirds in there's a couple of songs which where it starts to blur a little bit mm. um which i i didn't get from the anthropocene extinction um so i yeah i think 10 minutes shaved off of this yeah would have been an equal to a very very fucking good record although I, I... what i would say sorry just quickly mm. is that i think this album's really good mm-hmm. it's really good I don't love it as much as not just the length of the Anthropocene extinction. I think this to me marks the point where the the changes in Cattle Decapitation's career have become have slowed down and a, a lot subtler. Okay. Than they were maybe from if you go right back, um, which is inevitably going to happen mm, yeah. to any band. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I'm trying to think of a band who <laughs> literally have managed to kind of uh, stay kind of ahead for an exceptionally long amount of time. Um, but, you know, I, I I can't really see them going. I can't see that, you know, for them to still to remain a an extreme metal band. I'm not sure how much more leverage they've got to kind of get more melodic or to get more catchy or do you know what i mean i think there's there's stuff on this which is it's a death i mean it's it's absolutely a death metal album i don't want to give the impression that it's not a death metal album or it's kind of moving away from that but i think were they to indulge themselves much more in that kind of weird in travis's weird voice i think they might they could i think there are places they could go but i think they would have to change a lot of things to really really adapt into something else and my i just don't see them happen i just don't see them doing that but my argument is why wouldn't you want to do that as a band why the fuck would you not want to do that um you know we've discussed this a lot in terms of like the acdc's approach or the slayer approach or like the bands who like do their thing they do it very well and um they do it again and again and again and again and and then that's it and um there are a certain yeah and, and i'm i, I can't These strictly say i can't strictly say that cattle decapitation no um but um i i do think it really frustrates me when a band is limited by um these invisible genre lines like it's just when i when i sit there and i go for me by far the best song on this record is actually the last song which is like nine minutes long what's it called death atlas is title track death atlas yeah it's it's the least it's death well hmm. it's definitely a song that has death metal elements in it yeah yeah but is it a death metal it's it's by far the song which is the most experimental and the most interesting and goes to the most places and i was there listening to it and going if you had done this throughout the record you'd be a much better band you might you might not be classed as a death metal band anymore but you'd be a better band and you know massive death metal heads probably won't agree with that assessment 
but I think there, I don't know. I just, I just think there's, I mean, I was going to say when you, when you were saying like, I don't know what songs I would have taken off this, I, this album for my money takes a good few songs to get going. Really? Oh, really? I mean, mean, that's, that's, that seems ridiculous when it opens with the fury and intent that it does. And the fact that this band are eight albums in, I don't know how long they've been going since the uh, nineties. Yeah. Uh, You know, the fact that they're, still playing this hard and still pushing it to these extremes is very impressive um but uh the early stuff felt very straight ahead death metal with not that much left turns or or experimentation or anything like that and there was nothing wrong with it there was nothing there was like i was like okay yeah this is fine but that's the stuff that I would get rid of because I just don't because it's been done a billion times before. They're very very good at it, I have to say. They are I mean, very good at it. Be still our ble- our bleeding hearts is the third track on the or the second song proper, the third track on the mm. record. I think it's fucking amazing. They that, are that very good the, at it. That gets you pumped up super. But I you know I I enjoy the I actually enjoy you know I agree with you to an extent. You know mm. it starts off fairly rudimentary. Yeah, um, rudimentary. Uh, yeah. And if if you really like death metal, if, if you're Sammy from Employed to Surf, you'll yeah. have a fucking in, in, lovely time. Yeah. I really yeah. liked it. Although yeah. I did feel the first half. The I thought, first time I, I thought first, about Sammy a lot. First time I listened record. to it, and it's better than, I mean, compare that with, you know, we, we did the Nile album a couple of weeks ago. Nile are a band who have made exceptional albums in the past, and then uh, their recent one, they have not. And I think, you know, in comparison with, that nile album this is a very it's a high uh, definitely higher standard i think i do prefer this to the nile album although i do think they're uh it's funny i mentioned nile in my notes as well because i feel they're comparable in the fact that both bands are strangled by the genre the silly genres and limitations and to be honest i'm saying that of capitalist capitation and nile i'd say that of uh 99 of probably metal bands like fuck yeah. death metal yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably yeah. 99% of metal i feel like as i i fucking love metal to be clear mm. but i feel like as i'm getting older i'm getting really fucked off with well, these stupid invisible rules both that, of us have have, have yeah. spoken this year about how metal is you know had a pretty it seems weird to say it in a year where tool had an album out ramstad had an album out slipknot have had an album out um we've had the best corn album for god knows how long. yeah yeah we've had the best um uh someone else big has released an album i can't remember anyway we've had like a lot of sort of big bands have come back and released albums and they've all been pretty good yeah as well they've been pretty good at the very and, least pretty good you know yeah. uh we've had that amazing cult of lunar album as well if you call that metal i suppose it is metal, yeah it's a it? branch of metal um but you know ultimately with the exception of sort of car bombing and employed to serve i can't i don't really find myself listening to much of the metal from this year and i have to say as much as i love cattle decapitation and i love the journey of this record and i like the fact that they are unique and that travis does still does that weird shit with his voice which is like can be like nails down a chalkboard yeah um where you either really probably love you know i I love that I that I hate it. He's an incredible vocalist. Yeah, I, I like I like. I, I remember 
when I first heard the Anthropocene extinction, two I thought it was two different yeah. vocalists, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm still stunned that it's all the same guy. I'm just, I just think it's fucking absurd. Yeah. Like the guy is amazing. And, and yeah. when you know, there's, there's bits, um, uh, there was a bit that I wrote down for the, the title track where he kind of sounds like a cross between Nick Cave and Danzig, yeah. you know, he can do some really, and these are like, they're not influences that you would normally bring up in a lot of death metal acts i think there's times where he sounds like an almost like more strained brent hines yeah. but then he can do all the growly shit and stuff like he, he is a phenomenal talent and i can't say anything like mm. bad against him really yeah, on a technical great. level he's really great but i mean i don't know how much i'd come back to this album i think that's the thing i i i feel like metal's just being uh polluted sounds like too strong a word but fuck it i'm in a mood so polluted with so many records that you're just like well yeah it's another one of those types of records i'm not even sure if i'd go back to it and the fact that we are saying and actually i do agree with you that this isn't even as far as death metal fair goes overall this album isn't typical death metal fair but for me it doesn't go anywhere near far enough until you get to the last two songs and then i'm like right this 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 should have been the your beginning point that's Mm. how i feel about it and that's like and i feel like other genres are doing that and and would have those obviously not those exact songs but those those levels of experimentations as the beginning point and i feel like we have this weird stranglehold with metal with certain sections of metal uh fuck it with a lot of metal where it's just sort of kept within these stupid invisible boundaries and like if it doesn't have if it isn't doesn't have blast piece if it doesn't have this amount of screaming if it doesn't have you know this then it's not going to be classed as metal or whatever and it's not going to be good enough and i think that's exactly what's choking it of any creative freedom and interest you may well be right i'm fucked off about it yeah but um this is a pretty good record i mean it's not bad but 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 for me this is just another kind of like it's another six or seven out of ten metal album to throw on the pile you know Mm. it's another it's it's fine it's it's another it's fine it's fine yeah it's fine and sometimes it's really fucking good I th- yeah but overall it's fine i love I lo- definitely like it more than you okay <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway that's cat decapitation death atlas is out right now right our last album before we go to trade-off comes from misery loves company the fourth album from the industrial metal pioneers so it says in their press release steady <laughs> steady on guys not sure you're when was their first album 95 uh yes 1990 no 1994 yeah they're not pioneers pioneers. um pretty hate machine 1989 yeah come on um but the swedish duo their first album in 19 years their last record was released in the year 2000 your vision was never mine to share i used to fucking love this band i brought it in i know renfrey don't know much about them no misery Um, loves company of pretty much passed me by i know vaguely who they are and yeah all that kind of thing. i i'm sort of excited by this this came through to me and i was like this oh, is company oh my god and i got i don't often get that excited by the thought of a band coming, coming back, back after but, 19 years yeah 19 yeah it is 19 isn't it but I think because I didn't really know about it, I was just like, fuck me, Misery Loves Company are back. Oh my God, amazing. I love that band. 
Um, they were incredibly underrated back in the 90s. Okay. Incredibly underrated. Um, and I actually, having listened to this, I thought to myself, was it, is it my imagination? I wonder if they actually aren't as good as I thought they were. And I have to say, their debut self-titled record and their second album, Not Like Them, particularly those two records, I've listened back to them recently and they are still fucking great. Mm. They are fucking great records. So if you've never listened to this band before, whatever we're about to say about this new record, do go and listen to those first two Misery Loves Company albums because they're really great. Really, really great. And they still are, to my ears anyway. I have a few questions. Go for it. Um, you so you yes, as you said, you brought this in and you were very keen to do it. And I said I'm fine with doing it, but I have to confess, Misery Loves Company are a little bit of a black spot in my uh, knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you pointed me to a louder.com piece that you did about Misery Loves Company. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I'll read that and get an idea of what they're, <laughs> I'm going to quote you back to your face. Um, you said on that piece that they meld the influence of Ministry's steel-plated noise, the extreme metallic blasting of label mates Napalm Death mm-hmm. and uh, Wyron's, that's uh, the vocalist, yeah, Patrick, uh, Wyron. Patrick Wyron's embittered croon that resembled Alison Chains's Lane Stalia as most oppressed. Yep. That sounded like a new dawn in extreme music. Mm-hmm. That would be the first album. Right. So I, cause, cause I, cause I read that and then listened to this album. I was like, eh? Um, Napalm Death, I definitely didn't get. Yeah. Uh, extreme Music, I definitely didn't get. You would on the first record. Okay. 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 Th- that, that was basically my question. It was, you know, was, was there a point where they changed and was there yes. a point? Uh, right. Your vision was mine to share. Uh, okay. Mine to share was, and I think if you'd have read on in that piece. I was, read the whole I thing. Know, Thank you very much. But, uh, where they, where I'm, went, I'm actually part, I'm partly doing this for the benefit of the, yeah. I uh, where the they went much more into, um, kind of gothic did a similar sort of thing that, that Paradise Lost did on Host and One Second you compared them to uh, that album to Depeche Mode and The Cure yes they had just to prove that I read it yeah 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 so they did go for more I mean there's a Cure cover on that record right that's and we'll talk about covers uh, yes we, we, we get into this one um, so yes I was excited I really really like this band I'd have to say Your Vision was, mine, was never mine to share although the title track is an absolute fucking rager okay a 10 out of 10 bangerino um it's not the best well it's it's the worst album of their career um is it fair to say that this album zero is more like that last record then i think this new album zero is that last album trying to be their second Maybe not so much their first, but their second album. Oh my God, this feels meta as fuck. Uh, okay. Yeah, it is. So what what I mean by that is, is Misery Loves Company are, as you would expect from the name, a frightfully depressing bunch of chaps. Mm. Um, yes. They To quickly are, interject, the Ministry and Lane Staley references that I've read out there, I, I do get with this record. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly different sounding, I think. I mean, it, you know, I don't see, I have to be honest with you, and I, you'll have to pick me up on this i don't see misery loves company picking up a whole new army of fans off the back of this record absolutely not because this is much like the life of agony album yeah exactly about saying. Yeah. yeah it's produced uh like it was made when they were around first time yes i wouldn't say i think it would be wrong to say that the record sounds dated 
but it certainly doesn't sound contemporary either. No. Uh, much like the Life of Agony record. It sounds, you know, it's done in mo- in a modern way, but if you, you know, I, I said of that record, if you told me it was released in 95, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. Yeah. If you told me this release, album was released in 98, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid yeah, either, sure. I don't think. Um, but, you know, they, they were kind of characterized by like songs about suicide, um, and you know and self-loathing and all that kind of stuff and within sort of minutes of the first song suburban break there's talks of suicide notes and a thousand zombies they're just depressing bastards aren't they um, yeah but depressing bastards you can dance to i mean yeah, it's a kind yeah, of marilyn yeah. manson ministry yeah see this that's why i think it's kind of quite a cool meld of both different shades of mystery loves company because that song it's like you say, yeah, it's got it's got kind of grit to it, but also it's got quite a kind of anthemic chorus yeah. as well. Yeah, they're actually very good at that. Um, yeah, they are. They from really this are. album alone, I'd yeah. say they're very good at that. They're very yeah. good at writing um, very dark, miserable, industrial, dare I say it, pop songs. Yeah. Which is where I think the Depeche Mode thing comes mm-hmm. in. There's a song, my favourite song, it's called uh, Dead Streets, which is kind of post-punk, but mixed with something a bit more metallic. It kind of sounds like like we spoke about Absolute Descent by Killing Joke, and Killing Joke are the band I think in this in this era who have sort of managed to take that industrial metal or that industrial sound from the past and sort of make it a bit more metally. And I think it could have been taken off of that record. I think that's a really good song. Dead streets, we're out on the dead streets, and it's got a real big like that sort of concrete slab of mm. that really thuddy bass. I really really like that. Um, and you know, I think the second half is maybe not so good, uh, but I think it, the first half's quite good. I think the title track on it as well is pretty good. That's got um, a fairly big chorus on it. Overall, like I say, I don't think it's going to win Misery Loves Company. Many new fans. Mm. I just sort of wanted to bring it in to point people in the direction of those first two records, right? Which are very, very excellent. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I. Um, found this perfectly enjoyable i i don't adore it um but i don't hate it um i it's quite good um it's i guess uh a modern band that it's you could compare it to would be three teeth for example definitely yeah so um three teeth are um very much uh aping yeah this kind of sound and to be honest i think they're doing it pretty well i think um I... they sound a bit flashier i think three teeth and yes i think i'd agree with you they sound a little bit more la um yeah. there's no they post-punk. are from la they are there's from no LA, post-punk on three teeth no that's true that's true um i mean i was i want even based on this album alone i wonder if Misery Loves Company maybe have better songs than Three Teeth. I'm not sure, really. Um, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, generally I thought this was... I mean, it does sound like a... They do sound like a product of their time, I guess. And I can't really imagine... Uh, unless someone turned around to me and said, oh, I've just discovered Marilyn Manson and Ministry and Nine Inch Nails and I fucking love them. Who else is like that? you know i but then i go well you should definitely listen to misery loves company then and three teeth and mm. you know blah, blah blah um but 
yeah, for the most part, I'm just like, yeah, this is really good. Um, the one part where I'm not so much like that is a cover in the middle of the album, which is a bit weird. Well, they're good at covers. Right. So there's a decent cover of The Drowning Man by The Cure on uh, Your Vision is Nevermind to Share, which I've mentioned. There is a lo- an absolutely fucking excellent cover of Ordinary Game by XTC on Not Like Them. There's not a cover on the first album, but so they're obviously the last... This is the third album on the chop they've put a cover on. The XTC cover is fucking banging. It's okay. brilliant. Okay. Um, the Cure cover is pretty good. Tough to hard to cover the Cure. Um, but <laughs> continuing the downward trajectory, there's a cover of "Only Happy When It Rains" by Garbage mm. on here. Mm. I mean. Do we need that? It, that that was the main thing. It was it like to be honest, it's not abhorrent. It's not um, you know, behind blue eyes by Limp Bizkit or anything no, like that. A, it's just a bit pointless. Oh, yeah, yeah. And and I was a bit like I'd either ra- rather you put another one of your own songs on this album or you just didn't put it on at all. And I mean, the record is, it's around the 45 minute mark. It's only nine tracks, but I yeah. think it could have been qu- quite happily been eight tracks and 40 minutes and it wouldn't have made, I, I, in fact, I think the record would have been ever so slightly better as a result. Um, and putting it in the middle of the album as well, like bands used to do this sort of thing and would like have it as like a bonus track. I mean, yeah. they still do to an extent, like you know, iTunes exclusive or something like that. Um, or Apple Music exclusive, I think we have to call them there. But, um, you know, usually you tag them on at the end of the album, so you can kind of like, I mean, obviously... Well, they can... put their cover of Ordinary Game in the middle of the... Right, okay. Not like them. And it's a bold move. I didn't move. know it was an X... You know, this is back when I, I I didn't know XTC, really, apart from Making Plans for Nigel, and so I was just like, oh, that's a different song. Yeah, it's a bold move, and I think if you're going to do... I always think covers on albums of original of mainly original material a bit of a weird thing anyway to be honest because they pull me out of it so much more if i know the song it's weird like i mean what's weird about this one is it's like you know again if you listen to the the xcc original to keep going back to that cover because it's just them being really good at doing a cover if you listen to the xcc original and then you listen to the misery loves company version it's completely different right completely different um whereas listen to this and you're like it's basically the same. Well, it's kind it's of a very famous song as well. Yeah, they've taken the um, Alien Ant Farm smooth criminal approach of just basically yeah. making the production sound shinier and snazzier and and turning the distortion up on the guitars more or less. Yeah. Um, and it's fine. It just feels totally unnecessary. It's mm. not embarrassing. It's just not particularly good either. Just a bit of waste of time, really. Yeah. But apart from that, I quite like this. Yeah, then I fun. would say I really like them. Uh, I think you should all go and listen to the first couple of records. Uh, so yeah, I, I I think after you saying that, I I would be very interested to listen yeah. to the first two. Um, I, I I think this is fine. I mean, is is this their worst album or is it their second worst album? Then um, it's their worst. It, it is their worst album. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, if this is their worst album, then that definitely makes me want to check out the other yeah. records. Yeah. If this is if this is their you know supercharger, then I definitely want to check out the other three albums. Mm. Absolutely, so fair play. Sweet, uh, Misery Loves Company Zero is out now. Going into the first two records, and so their first two records. Uh, all right, let's go. Let's do trade off. 
oh, I'm excited about this. <laughs> um, Renfrey, oh, how do you want to start? Because obviously Fallout Boy uh, are the bigger band. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a tiny little curio. But I just gave you a single song, which has opened up a whole world of stuff, uh, which you don't even know about yet. No. So, um, I do feel like we're going to be talking about your one for longer, aren't we? Well, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know, because basically I don't know what you have to say about Paxam Days. I know what I have to say about it, okay. and it's not a lot, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> oh, I don't have loads to say about it. Shall we get Paxam Days out of the Pax way? Paxam Days, okay, yeah. Paxam Days by Fallout Boy. Um, I have never been quiet about my sort of dislike for Fallout Boy. Um, and usually when I think about why I dislike Fallout Boy, I think it's because I find Pete Wentz quite an objectionable person. Um, He's very irritating. Yeah, they were kind of annoyingly omnipresent. They get called emo when I think they're pop punk. That shouldn't really annoy me that much, but it does. Um, And I think in the sort of earlier part of their career when they were coming up and they were becoming the big thing, I didn't hate them because I thought, well, you know, stuff like, um, what's it called from under the cork tree? Like stuff off that. Uh, Yeah. um, That second album. Yeah. 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 um, I remember hearing that and like Sugar We're Going Down. It's a good song. Great song. It's a really, really good song. Um, Infinity on High has some fucking bangers on it. It's It's a goddamn arms race. Yeah. Fucking great. on single. Um, Did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. That is... uh, that is a great song. Sorry. Uh, I'm not sure it is. But anyway. <laughs> um, but then as yeah, as time kind of went on, I, I just looked at Fallout Boy and I thought, there they are. I don't care that you used to be in a bloody hardcore band with Keith Buckley. I don't care that you're now touring around with, you know, two of you touring around with Rob from Anthrax and Scott Ian and you're doing the dance. Like, you know, you somebody's there for a buck aren't they like some you want to be and fine whatever man you want to be a big fucking pop star you go for it you go and do it right and but the quality of their material from that kind of point onwards you know particularly around this period which was when they came back and it's the destroy rock and roll record that i'm talking about right uh no save rock and roll save rock and roll polar opposite of what you just said yeah i think it's it's a little bit of a freudian thing there because there are yeah, um, <laughs> um, the, uh, this was kind of attached to their so, yeah. uh, comeback records. Save Rock and so Roll. as I understand it, um, they released Save Rock and Roll and they decided to go back into the studio with Ryan Adams. <laughs> That's aged not, well. Not troublesome at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And just indulge themselves and be the hardcore band that you yeah. know, they used to be. So Save Sorry. Rock and Roll is a very kind of, it was the beginning of their kind of modern pop kind of uh, direction, I guess. It's very glisteny <laughs> for want of a better word and there are definitely are better words than glisteny oh, um yeah. uh but um yes i uh i bought the double disc edition of uh save rock and roll for this ep mm. um and uh which, how much did you pay for that uh too much to be mm-hmm. honest like i think it was like to be honest, it, like it was a relatively good deal for a double disc. It was something like twelve quid or something like that. But but a relatively good deal until you take the material on said discs into account. Yeah, I mean the the first yeah, the, Save Rock and Roll is an album that I I think I've listened to it twice. I just have no time for it. I'm not really interested in it at all. Yeah. Um. I think Pax Am Days 
is a really good, short, sharp, 13-minute hardcore punk EP. I don't think it's the best hardcore punk EP ever, but I think if you had no idea that it was the members of Fallout Boy, it, like if you, if you know, if it, if, if it was just a band and came along, it's like a band from a new hard, uh, new EP from a hardcore band. I don't think you'd ever guess that it was members of Fallout Boy. Patrick Stump's voice is very recognisable. So yeah, but you could just be like, it's a hardcore band with someone who sounds a little bit like Patrick Stump. <laughs> <laughs> Which would then... Okay. Um, okay. I, I don't hate this. No. I don't... I'm a, I was a bit disappointed because you said to me like, oh, well, when you hear this, ah, it's, and then I read and I was like, oh, so they've done... Did I say that? You kind of did, yeah. Oh. Like, oh, when you hear, you know, oh, I think you'll be surprised you were doing it. Oh, I think you'll be surprised sort of thing. Oh, I'm going to give you Fallout Boy. Oh, no, it's a hardcore thing. I think you'll be surprised. Okay. Right, so Don't I read um, Joe Trotman saying, Misfits, Black Flag, Descendants, Dag Nasty, anything late 70s, early 80s punk and hardcore was influenced in the creation of the music that and the lyrical content said. as well. So yes. in my head, I'm thinking of Descendants and Misfits, Black Flag and all those bands. I'm yeah. like, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fine. All right. Cool. And then it comes on and it's just sort of quite short Fallout Boy songs. Oh. That I think, are a bit that aren't as well produced. I think it's somewhere in between those two. So, yes. But it's not what I, you know, I thought maybe they would really kind of scuzz it up. I, you know, because I looked at the length, and I was like, oh, one minute three, one minute 24, one minute 23. One yeah, the longest song on Captain here. Captain Cold is the yeah, longest song, the two last track. Something. Which, ironically, is probably the one I like the most on it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I listened to it, and I was like, yeah, you know, if a band released this, you'd go, they're kind of a... They're not even, you know... I, I don't want to be a cunt being like, it's eh, not hardcore, but it's barely even, like, it's kind of quite fast punk, but it's... Is it that much different from? I mean, it is much different from Mania. If you listen to like the recent Fallout Boy stuff, yeah, it is, and it is fairly different from like the early, early stuff. But it's not like you know. I really expected to go. Oh my god! Like when we got the Can't Swim EP, yeah, and who are not as big a band at all, yeah. and a, you know that that Can't Swim EP is completely different. That microwave album. You go, mm. this doesn't sound anything like these bands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This still does sound a bit like Fallout Boy. Um, yeah, to to an extent. I, I, I think I think if this was released and um, you know, it was just A and other hardcore band, I think people would be like, it's the more melodic end of hardcore. Yeah. Is the least the least heavy hardcore end of the band spectrum. Ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you know, I not in terms of quality to be very very clear but you know in terms of like a heaviness sort of vibe movie life i was gonna say sort of higher uh is it higher power higher power like higher power and shelter shelter to his green even maybe a bit of turnstile and stuff like that it's, it's that kind of level of heaviness it's not that not that quality no. at all but well I, I i think when turnstile go i mean obviously turnstile do way more stuff I think yeah. you're cherry picking a bit of turnstile there. When you say turnstile, yeah, you're cherry you, you're cherry picking maybe the, I am. the more melodic kind of you're thinking of moon and stuff. I am thinking of moon, yeah, yes. Exactly <laughs> what you're of, which, if they wrote a song as good as Moon on this EP, then I would fucking I would sort of go, All right, you got me. But oh, no and to be clear, they have not. No. They, they have not no. <laughs> no. You know, it's interesting. But it's an uh, it's an interesting curio. It's isn't interesting. It? 
in a kind of, I mean, it, it's the yeah, best thing the Fallout Boy have released since they've come and that back. That is staggering, like because <laughs> it just passed. I just went because I thought I'm going to have loads to talk about about you know how you know oh obviously Pete Wentz is a massive Misfits fan and which he, I'm sure he and you know I you know, I'm not even being like but they're not real punks or whatever. Like I'm sure they love all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm guaranteed. I know they do. Yeah. But this ain't it, mate. Uh, no. No, but I, but I, I, you know, I do think if this came out and, uh, it, oh, but no, I was about to say, if this came out on Holy Raw, would anyone be surprised? This wouldn't yes. come out on Holy no, Raw. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Sorry. That's a ridiculous thing to say. Um, but I think, you know, I, 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 I was just like the Angel Dust album. Yeah. Like, you know, when that came out and we were like a bit poppy, this, isn't it? That's actually... it's sort of hardcore, but it's a bit poppy, and I, and I haven't listened to it since. That's, That's how I feel about this. Yeah, yeah. I probably prefer this to the Angel Dust album, but yeah, I, I, I do. Do you know what? I can't it. remember what either of them look like, <laughs> and I listened to this twice today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you listened to it twice, so you can't hate it that much. Well, I had to didn't <laughs> I, for this, to, so that this conversation could happen. <laughs> I had to listen to it, yeah, um, but okay. anyway, I mean, you know. Well done for trying. I mean, this for, is yeah, both it, you and Fallout it, Boy. It does feel like that. This is one of those trade-offs where I'm like, this is going to be really interesting. And actually, I have to admit, because I hadn't listened to this album before, uh, uh, I hadn't listened to this EP for ages before I gave it to you. And when I went back and listened to it, I was like, not actually as interesting as I remember it being. <laughs> so, no, no. so kind of fucked up slightly there. But you know, hey, but hey you know, it. Uh, just goes to show Fallout Boy uh, bad. <laughs> And speaking of which, uh, I didn't give you an album, Renfrey. No. I gave you a song. I gave you a video. You gave me a video. Really. really. Mm. I gave you the song Bingo by the band Catch. Now, for a little bit of backstory into who Catch were, because if you're listening, you probably don't know who they are. Um, the song was released in September 1997. It is Catch's only top 40 hit. It reached number 23 in the UK charts. They played it on top of the pops. Um, Catch are a three-piece band um, who were around during the kind of the very, very height of Britpop. So 1996-1997, the height of Britpop. Um, they formed when the three members of the band, vocalist Toby Slater, bassist Wayne Murray and guitarist Ben Etchells, all kissed the same girl at the same party and that is how they formed hey guys we've all just got off with the same girl let's start a band fuck right off that is actually how they formed wow <laughs> so i'm oh. speechless i know you know earlier you were like this is an interesting way how lindemann mm. yeah well that is an interesting way of a band to form. Can you imagine, like, we bonded over all getting off with the same girl at a party and mm. now we're going to start a band together. Like, how how does that conversation come up? How, who, uh, oh, the whole thing. The whole thing, Renfrey, is just, just immediately seedy. It's funny that watching this video made me feel about as uncomfortable as you telling me that story yeah. did. Because yeah. there's nothing overtly... There's just an aura of... Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, to carry on with the story of Catch, um, they did a demo. A demo did the rounds around um, the, the probably the Camden scene. They went to the Good Mixer, no doubt, and gave it to Alex James from Blur <laughs> and Justine Frischman from Elastica and all the other people <laughs> and just hung around like a bad smell and eventually were picked up by Virgin. Um, two singles were released. They went into the studio, recorded their album, released two singles, Bingo being the first one. Uh, the other one was called Dive In, which reached number 44 in the charts. Unlucky. Um, and the band's debut album was handed to Virgin and was released in Indonesia because Bingo was a massive, massive hit in Indonesia. And the band went out and did an acoustic tour in Indonesia and had like hundreds of thousands of people like Beatlemania coming to see them. And so the album was released in Indonesia, but the album was not released anywhere else in the world because Virgin got the album and went, this is fucking rubbish. (laughs) We're not releasing that. And then they split up. So that is basically in a nutshell, the story of Catch. Oh, wow. Um, That's fascinating. So why have I brought Bingo in and what is Bingo? So basically this, the song is the kind of the story of a public school boy going to London for the first time and seeing the kind of bright lights and the big, and the big city. Um, I'll talk about it. The weirdest bus journey of all time. I'll talk about it more uh, and how I feel about it in a second, but Renfrey, I am chomping at the bit (laughs) to know what you think about this song. Um, I was completely bewildered by it, to be totally honest. Um, It's really, it sounds like two, the chorus and the verse sound like two completely different songs. Absolutely. And it sounds two very bad songs. And it feels like they've been linked together. There are bands who are incredibly good at linking disparate elements of songs together and making it sound cohesive. It is shocking that i imagine vast swathes of money went behind a band who weren't capable of stitching to i mean look, look paranoid android which came out the same year as this yeah. did yeah. day in the life for the beatles day in the life yeah brilliant example yeah but paranoid android was was three different song ideas which mm. they stitched together and they managed to do it in a seamless cohesive interesting way um it is stunning how cut and paste this song is um which is you know i mean that's song craft isn't it like when we talk about song craft we're talking about that kind of thing um and then it's just sort of i mean it's very of its time i guess you made me watch it with the video which didn't help the with its time but i think even i think even sans video i would have been like well this is from the 90s late 90s specifically um it has some questionable lyrics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, finding out that they all got together by kissing the same girl at a party, I probably shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but um, there's some really odd bits in the video. So Very, uh, very strange. He basically, it is the most sort of effect um, kind of, you know, when you do a voice like i do it at bonjour sometimes probably not as effeminate as it but you know you do that kind of baby voice you do, you do, do it that bonjour kind of, all the go, time hello boggy logo bongy wongy mm. i love you so much that the verses Never are sung by this dude yeah in this like 
I'm only... I mean, I watched the video and I was like, this is like something Chris Morris would have made. Right, it's it's like it's been lifted from Brass Eye, right? Yeah. It is so yeah. He, yeah. he looks like a sort of Louise Renner from Sleeper, but with a smaller penis. Right? Well, it looks like um, he's trying to do the effeminate androgynous Brian Molko thing, which at the time maybe he was because Brian because uh, Placebo would have broken out the year before, wouldn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and there really were a few badly. like you know there were a lot of Brett Anderson from Suede, obviously. Yeah, you know, the Britpop had. Um, as I mentioned, Alex James, and I'd say Damon as well. I think even Liam Gallagher, for all his kind of bravado, had a sort of androgynous quality to him sometimes as well. And um, yeah, I mean, particularly when he's with Patsy Kensett and you see him all dressed up nice and he's sort of plucked his eyebrows and stuff, you know, he did sort of okay. you know, glide around a bit. Um, but musically? No, 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 not right, musically. Right, I'm right. just talking about that when you're saying Brian Molko, that whole androgynous thing from dudes in the in the nineties was a that was a thing that yeah. was absolutely a thing. Biss was another one. There's a whole bunch, you know. There's a, I could go with fucking loads of them, but it's this, very try hard. This. this is like oh my god, so unbelievably try hard. And um, he goes into the they tr- they said they call my mum if I didn't pay a hundred pounds for a diet Coca Cola. <laughs> So he basically, he's a public school. He's like, I have, I've got some money. I've got the bus to London. Um, all the pretty girls. So he goes to a strip club, basically. Goes to a strip club, gets stung for 100 quid for uh, for a good Diet Coke. And then he goes home. And he, but he's seen the bright lights in, of, of London. He's seen the dark. seen the bright lights. He's seen it all. And it's just a, oh, it's a grubby, isn't it? It's a grubby little song. Is he talking about a, public school boy i mean well yeah i mean i get oh god yeah i don't oh yeah it is a gr- yes i felt like i needed a bath a grubby grubby little song i did not like it at all uh <laughs> it makes yes. the bloody lightning seed sound like deicide <laughs> <laughs> it is so wet it is so wet uh and i'll tell you the reason i bought it in renfrey is because about a a couple of weeks ago, I was sat around talking with a couple of my mates and we were saying, and I said, who are the worst musical act, the worst musical act ever, 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 ever. And people start, oh, Coldplay, oh, Travis. Yeah. And, you be, you know, people start chat, chatting out the kind of these rubbish, but, you know, Black Eyed Peas is always a good one that I go to. People start sort of chatting out these bands who are rubbish or boring or you know try it or whatever but have had a load of hits and you kind of go i don't understand how they can how can they have a load of hits but the thing is is that actually the worst bands the very very worst ones are ones that somehow inexplicably got a bit of money thrown at them yeah in a time and, and were crafted to be another one of these bands like you know yeah. the whole bunch of those but the supernaturals like you chuck in fucking loads and loads of those bands from from back yeah. in the day and I probably saw half of them on the main stage at Reading uh, from, the, from 96 to like 1999. And you were always like, you're just rubbish. Like, what is the point of you? You're rubbish. And you look back, you go, rubbish, right? Yeah. But the ones that can't even get their album released in this country, they are the worst ones. And the reason I brought this in is because I it came up in conversation. And I was like, oh, yeah, I sort of remember that. And we were going through like really obscure ones. I genuinely think, I've thought about it long and hard. I genuinely think this is the worst song that has ever been released 
spy record label ever. <laughs> I think it is. I think this is the worst song ever made. It is. It is in. It's broken. It is inept. It's stupid. It's annoying. It's clawing. It's fake. It's full of the worst kind of class and musical cliches. It's terrible. I mean, the Slate, the singer in particular, and he's taken out and just kicking to yeah. death. <laughs> he is abysmal. He is absolutely abysmal. And I've thought so long and hard about it. I've li- I've listened to this song. I listen to this song and then listen to like Boom Boom Pow by the Black Eyed Peas. I listen to like the Crazy Frog and shit like that. This is the worst song a record label has ever, ever, ever released. I think I think it's kind of worse because it's blander. In a, in a way, like I would almost say that, but still as offensive. It's still, still irritating as fuck. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. Like it's weirdly like confession. I only listened to this and watched it once, um, and maybe I should have listened to it and watched it more. Uh, I didn't want to, um, but um, I think even if I'd listened to it and watched it twelve times, I'd have a hard. Um, I'd have. I'd find it really difficult to recall the song at all, but the grubby feeling that I have after watching it has stayed with me and I've had it throughout this entire podcast record. And maybe that's why I'm <laughs> feeling really down at the moment. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it isn't, but, uh, but you know, like it, it is absolutely, it, it's just, it, it, it really, it made me feel a little bit ill really mm. um, it, is, it is disgusting it's a horrible like it it made me both kind of sad sick and angry at the same time <laughs> and I, that is something i have to say do you want to know wayne murray um the bass player in this band is currently a touring guitarist for another band do you know who he is the touring guitarist for day aside <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> no and this will make makes me very sad he is the touring guitar player for the manic street preachers Wow. What the fuck are they doing? And I mean, that shows how far they've fallen. So the Manic Street Preachers um, met at a house party in Wales and they'd all kissed the same girl. And it was Uh, Richie Edwards. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. Um, So it is a disaster. It's an interesting look back at something that never happens in the music industry anymore. Mm. Uh, Because we are looking back at a time when the music industry was stuffed fat with money um and with a lot of um Just any skinny armed floppy fringed dickhead come in well a lot a lot of those people who controlled the purse strings had lots of access to all sorts of um class a substances which made their uh decisions and methodology fucked yeah um really backward and uh i think this is the product of it and you don't get this in the music industry anymore because there is no money in it Mm. so these kind of vapid time wasters don't bother trying to be musicians because there's no financial they start a podcast instead (laughs) (laughs) very good uh there's no uh there's no financial reward they actually do (laughs) Listen to my hat wearing podcast. I'm on, in, I'm on Instagram. Um, but yeah, because but but this doesn't happen anymore because uh, I, and I suppose that's the that is when we talk about you know 
than being no money in the music industry anymore and streaming and all this sort of thing and how it's a double-edged sword mm. this the fact that this has been eradicated is kind of the good side of it i yeah. guess yeah i guess so. um i think i'd rather there were have money the, yeah put up with <laughs> a couple industry. of these yeah yeah um, because at least these are funny at least you look at them and you go oh my god but it's yeah. laughably funny you yeah know? probably not funny for like some unsigned metal band back in 1997 when they saw these lot on their massive tour bus and their album didn't even come out and they just went we'll just write off that two million quid we spent with you getting to record at abbey road with fucking george martin or i thought you i thought you were gonna say probably not funny for that girl that they all kissed well um, definitely not funny for her i mean if she'd been a little bit more kind of discerning with her tonsils and maybe we'd have had to put <laughs> to put up with this shit discerning with her tonsils <laughs> yeah. and that is why you shouldn't kiss strangers at parties but there is a but to this there is a ps there is one thing about this which has meant that it's not just the worst song ever from this weird little band catch will always have a place in the fabric and tapestry of british culture forever as they were involved in one of the biggest news stories of the decade right and so they you we can laugh now and go ah who remembers cat ah they're rubbish whatever but the irony of this the kicker of this rimfrey and this is this is amazing right is that their video that video we we're talking about was the video for um was playing on the chart show and was the video that was interrupted. And you can see this on YouTube. You can go on YouTube and Google this and find it. And you will see Catch being interrupted by breaking news of the death of Princess Diana. No! <laughs> so when the news in Britain broke that Princess Diana had died, they cut Catch Bingo short on the chart show. This was the song. That was playing mind you even royalists would have found that a relief yeah um, I, don't know that, if, I don't know if the guy in the limo was watching it and just decided to fucking crash his car <laughs> but <laughs> i can't watch this um <laughs> but so you know they've always got that haven't they they've always got the queen of our hearts you can see it on youtube and actually i did i watched it i was again <laughs> i couldn't the serendipity of this has been unbelievable because not only did my mate bring it up and i was like oh yeah fuck what an absolute piece of shit that was i think he thought they were the dum-dums originally and we were like no, no they're not the dum-dums it's someone else and then we were talking about um i was talking with my girlfriend about royalty with her being american she's quite into Meghan markle and stuff she's quite proud of her and she was going oh you know the way the press do this and i said oh well when princess Diana," and she was like what was it like over here when princess diana died and i was like oh we can so I don't really remember. We can Google it. And I Googled it and fucking catch came on the telly. <laughs> and I was like, what are they doing here? <laughs> and they get interrupted. So wow. forever a part of British culture. Um, a massive part. The part they played in the death of the Queen of Our Hearts. Catch, bingo. What pricks? <laughs> what a bunch of pricks. Anyway, it's the worst. it is literally the worst song ever. You should go and listen to it just to go... How? Do you not think? I I definitely think everyone yeah. should listen to it. I mean, I'm a little I'm a little bit like, oh, do we really want to give them the views? But then, yes, I do. I think well, you have to watch see the it to Princess it. Diana video because you can. That's already got a lot of point. views, and you can point. see most of it. Um, <sighs> anyway, <laughs> next week we're going to be doing numbers twenty to eleven in our albums of two thousand and nineteen. 
and um, that will be fun. It will be fun, yeah. Looking You're nice. going to see Cult of Luna. I am going to see Cult of Luna, yes. Yeah. I'm going to see A play Monkey Kong in full on the night that Cult of Luna are playing. I could have gone to see Cult of Luna, whose album I adore, um, and who are brilliant and I uh, love. But I decided instead, no, Renfrey's going, he'll cover it. I'm going to go and see A. I, I mean, On brand. I have asked several times, are you sure? You yep. sure you don't want to see Cult of Luna and A.A. Williams and, and Brutus all no, in one night? I want to see A. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> you know they're being supported by? No. 68. Oh, yeah. what? So fuck you. Um, enjoy your shitty gig with all your all your fucking chin strokey post metal wankers. I'll be dancing double thumbs to A in sixty eight. I think you'll be the only person dancing to sixty eight. I think most of A's crowd will be bemused at sixty eight. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Anyway, we'll be back next week. Uh, Musicism.net for all your courses. Put Riot in the checkout in capital letters to get twenty five percent off and um, buy a ticket for our Christmas show. On the 9th Come of December, come to the show. It's going to be a right laugh and no mistake. Yeah, Jason Perry is not going to be there, unfortunately. Oh, he might be. Uh, anyway, we will see you next week for our rundown of the best albums of 2019, part one. Uh, see you next week. Bye, man.